This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure on Jabberjaw Media. I wanted to tell you guys about the Patreon for the show. It's called the Pleasure Seekers Club, and there's two levels. There's the $5 level and the $10 level. And all this is, guys, is to help support the show, help support the cost of putting the show out, um, you know, time spent uh, building the show, hosting costs, travel costs to do the in-person interviews that you guys like so much. Um, it all costs money, and I always try to find the best deal for sure uh, because I do have a day job as well. But having that support on the Patreon is definitely going to help uh, bring more in-person interviews, more travel more uh, updated uh, graphics, hosting, websites, all that stuff. So, um, And if you like the show, $5 a month or $10 a month really helps out. I know it's kind of a, uh, an interesting thing with the Patreon when something's already free, uh, but it is always going to be free. But if you want to support the show a little bit more, I'd absolutely appreciate it. Uh, you can pay either $5 or $10 a month. We'll try to do some special things for the patrons as well as we go, um, but it's just a way to support the show in a different way, and uh, like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming back week after week. That's the most important thing I can ask for. So definitely go over and check out the Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Podcast. Once again, that is patreon.com slash Podcast. Sign up today and join the community and help out the show. Keep it growing, and I thank you so much. Hey, this is Doc Coyle, host of the X-Man Podcast and part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. The X-Man Podcast is where I talk to professionals in the music world and other creative industries about the challenges and transitions of leaving monumental ventures. This podcast is for those passionate and driven 20 to 30-somethings at a crossroad trying to figure out what's next. Listen and subscribe at JabberjawMedia.com.
What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpas on Jabberjaw Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. And this week, guys, I know we've taken a little bit of a break. Um, I'm stoked to bring you this episode. I've got a whole bunch of episodes backlogged right now. Um, I basically took the last month or so to focus on finishing my journeyman plumber uh, state exams and have now received my journeyman license and I'm a licensed plumber in Oregon uh, with Local 290. And it's been a five-year journey to get to this point. I am so excited to be finished with the apprenticeship program. And basically, it was just, it was too much to do both, putting the show out every week and focusing on getting through that stuff uh, with family and everything else. So I took a little bit of a break, and I do apologize, but I've got some episodes backlogged, and I am stoked to bring you this week's episode with Josh Eppard from Coheed and Cambria. He's also known as Weird Science, W-E-E-R-D, um, as a hip-hop artist as well, which is some pretty rad stuff on there too, but uh, a lot of you guys will know him from Coheed and Cambria. And this one was really cool because uh, when we set up the interview, Josh and I, I don't know if we met before. I can't remember. Um, I think... Well, I know we've played shows with Coheed before, um, but I don't know if Josh and I formally, you know, met each other and hung out. We did some karaoke with them a long time ago. We talk about it in the interview, um, but I don't remember if it was with uh, Josh and Claudio or with Travis and Claudio. But uh, yeah, it was a long time ago, early two thousands. Uh, but it was a great time. Anyway, this interview was really fun because Josh and I went on and on and on for a long time. Because we just kept finding things in common or things we wanted to talk about. And uh, it actually, I didn't know how long I was going to get. And we ended up doing, I think, two hours, maybe more. So it is a long one, guys. I didn't want to put it in two parts. I wanted to put it all together because it is, uh, it was a fun conversation. The time just flew by. Um, and, you know, some of these episodes get a little bit long. Um, but like I say, if it's interesting, I'll put it all out. And it definitely was, you know, and, and, uh, I had a great time talking with Josh and, uh, I'm actually going to see him on Sunday when Coheed comes to the Moda center here in Portland with every time I die, uh, and Mastodon, it's going to be awesome. My buddy Josh is flying in from Italy. I'm going to pick him up at the airport and we're going to go straight to the Moda center and, uh, check the show out. It's going to be awesome. So anyways, well, once again, sorry for taking that break, but I had to finish up that program as that is my career and the way I make money for my family. Uh, and I had to get that done. So it feels good to have that part over with, and now I can move forward. So uh, appreciate the patience, guys. Uh, before we get into this episode, let's t talk about our sponsors. We have rockabilia.com. PC Jabberjaw is the code for 15% off your order. We have Merge for Socks. Check them out on Instagram, um, all over the internet. They've been sending socks to us at the show. And some of the past guests as well that have dug the socks, they've been sending them to them. Check them out. Super comfortable and such cool designs. A lot of cool, cool artists. Um, some bands do collaborations with them as well, so check out Merge for Socks. Artistflags.com is the other one, guys. Artistflags.com has been making the flags for the show. Um, if you guys need scrims, backdrops, if you're in a band, um, do car shows, any of that kind of stuff where you need those signs, those big, uh, big banners, backdrops. They also do, um, I know Summer's here, and they also do those tents. Um, like you see on Warp Tour, all the bands have their name on the tent. Um, you can get those done through them as well. So uh, go head over to artistflags.com and chat with Cody. He is the man, and he will hook you up. He's been hooking up our show for a long time. So big thanks to those guys. Uh, Peer Pleasure Pod, uh, peerpleasurepodcast.com is the website. 
Um, I need to update that. I've been just mainly updating socials because um, I don't know how many people actually use the website. Um, but if you do, uh, reach out to me. Let me know, and I'll keep that going. Otherwise, I may just switch over to just doing social uh, social media, like a link tree or something, um, something a little bit easier since time is limited. Um, but yeah, guys, I appreciate you guys coming back week after week, um, supporting the show any way you can. Um, it's been really, really cool. Uh, like I said, I've got a lot of episodes backlogged with some really badass guests, uh, including Josh, which you're going to hear today. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Josh Shepard from Coheed and Cambria. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, definitely head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you're listening to podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Throw us a five-star rating or a review. We really appreciate that. It helps the show out big time. So like I said, if you are enjoying the show, head on over and give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume podcasts. Thank you. Hey, Dewey, what's going on, my friend? Dude, just hanging out, man. Just hanging out. <laughs> awesome. Over here on the uh, West Coast, so it's a little earlier, well, lunchtime for my time. but uh, Yeah, but lucky you, man. The weather here in the Northeast has been just awful. It rained like six inches yesterday. Are you kidding me? Um, That's insane. Oh, my God. I've never seen some – I've lived in New York my entire life, and everybody, all the lifers here, have. we all say we've never seen so much rain you get one nice day, it will then rain for five days. My whole front yard is not like a puddle, a pond, complete Jesus with Christ. somehow there's fish in there. Kid you not. <laughs> no one knows how it happened. There is fish in there. The fucking thing is a tide. I swear to God, it's enormous. That's um, and it's starting to dry up a little bit. Yesterday it rained like six inches. I have a bowl that I put out for the critters out here. And we put like our scraps of food in it. And, like the raccoons will come up and eat it. Sometimes we can see them or whatever. Yeah. And that bowl was empty. It was just sitting out. It's filled. That bowl is like three inches deep, filled, overflowing with water from one day of rain. It is crazy. So you're not going to get me to sympathize with you that it's earlier. <laughs> there you are. Lucky, Dewey. You are lucky to be out there. 
I am, man. I definitely am. It is not. It's been raining, but not like that. And uh, Jesus Christ, dude. Where, uh, where on the West Coast are you? I'm in Portland, Oregon. Oh, dude, Oregon is beautiful, man. It is, man. It is. It's really beautiful. I we've I moved down here in 2000 from Alaska to start touring, and and uh, we basically we never left. Like we we toured all over the place, but we didn't uh, we didn't end up moving anywhere. We we're going to move to Seattle, but it was way more expensive at the time. And man, oh, so you're no, you're no secret though to the rain. When you said West Coast, I honestly like I picture California. I picture you like. Laying in the sun with like a fucking <laughs> drink with an umbrella in it. You're no secret to the rain. You it rains there plenty, but I love Oregon, man. Portland specifically. I've spent a lot of time. Well, not a lot of time, but um, had friends there and would fly there and spend a couple weeks there. I really, really like it there a lot, dude. That's rad. Yeah, we've uh, man, we played. So we played a show together at a club that used to be in Portland called the Nocturnal, and it was back. Um, shit early 2000s it was probably i think the second coed record had just come out and uh i was in a band called anatomy of a ghost that then transitioned over to portugal the man and uh so we played nocturnal that was the first time i think maybe the only time we played together um but yeah then we ended up going over across the street to this place called the galaxy and did karaoke it was a weird fucking night but, um, oh my God, dude! I feel like I actually, re- you know how it is. Okay, yeah. so if you've toured and lived that life, you know how it all kind of can blend into yeah. it becomes like one thing. But I actually remember super vaguely that night. Do you say what is it? Anatomy of a ghost? Yeah, anatomy of a ghost. Everyone said, "Hey, you need to play with Coheed. Your singers sound exactly alike." And that was John from Portugal, the man uh, that is now in Portugal, the man super high voice and so everyone's like when are you gonna play with coed when are you gonna play with coed i was like dude i don't know i i don't set this shit up and uh it just so happened you guys were coming through it was like i don't remember who it was with i think it was like with oh a static lullaby or some other screamo band anyway but that hope's was the fall? night it, no no we played with hope's fall in new york but not in portland um oh, okay, okay but anyways it was one of those smaller shows like it was a small club it's a dance studio now i think at one point, I had to hold Claudio's mic stand up from falling down. Like, it kept the the adjuster <laughs> broke, and I had to sit there and awesome. hold it. It was fucking hilarious. That's amazing. But uh, um, I don't remember the club, but, God, that night, for some reason, really. I do. I remember that, and I remember Anatomy of a Ghost. I remember us thinking, like, oh, we really like that name. Yeah. That it, name is cool. Um, is Portugal the man? Are those dudes from Portland? They're from Alaska with with me. We all moved down together. Um, oh shit! Okay. Yeah, I'm sure you guys have played together with them, probably at festivals and shit. But um, yeah, but festivals isn't like really playing with the band. You know, it's like no. oh, they're playing a quarter mile away on a different stage <laughs> somewhere. I guess we kind of play together. But I do like a lot of their stuff. A lot of friends that are way into them. But like I said, I didn't know where they were from. I just figured, you know. Yeah. For all I know, they're from Portugal. I don't know where the hell they're from. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's cool. Fucking, uh, did you grow up in Alaska? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Up in, uh, Petersburg and then up into Wasilla when I was 11. And we, uh, that's where I met those guys was all up in middle school. But how cool, dude. How cool is that? I still haven't been, um, to Alaska and I'm, I really like to go, you know, we've been so many places. Yeah. Let's go to Alaska. It's like well, the, one of the last places like we haven't been. Um, although I've been on mile zero, the beginning of the Alaskan highway, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I was in Dawson Creek, Canada, so <laughs> technically Alcan not highway. Alaska, but it was cool just to be there. It was like a statue. I took a picture of it. It was neat, you know, but I still yeah. to this day have never been to Anchorage. 
me and my wife uh, have some friends that live in Alaska half mm-hmm. the year, and they send us these pictures, and they, they just talk so highly of it. Um, they uh, they love it there, and I guess when, when the when the weather gets really brutal, then they dip to like the Virgin Islands or something. They're rich; they have a oh, lot more money. Oh, they're than the snowbirds but... or whatever you call them. Where they, yeah, I get, but they live there for six. Like they go there for say six months, and then the rest of the year, the other half of the year, they're in the islands, and they sell diamonds and they make <laughs> a bunch of money. They're living this life; it's like a movie or something. But um, all their pictures from put it this way when when i married my wife they gave us about a hundred pounds of alaskan salmon flash frozen we had to buy a freezer to house this stuff that was their <laughs> gift to us and we had salmon for like two and a half years and it was like the best salmon he had to pick the bones out which was weird i'd never had real deal flash oh, yeah. frozen salmon like that so i'm sitting there with the tweets i got really good at it getting the bones out you know once we went back to the store-bought stuff it just wasn't the same it was like god this is really different dude um absolutely absolutely I gotta make my way to alaska for sure man i gotta get there one day has coed Co- hasn't played there nope we had a couple there was a couple different times where things were in the works okay we're going one time it was israel is like it was happening for months we we're like oh we're playing in maybe a college in Anchorage or something. And then it just fell through. Something happened uh, and it didn't, I I believe I might be a little off with this, but I think this is going way back 2004, 2005 era. Things are really popping for us. We got booked on the Letterman show. Uh And so, but it was the same night. And so we canceled the Alaska thing. And then the Letterman show booted us off for Howard Stern. Oh, Um, <laughs> no, it's what so perfectly coheed though. It's just like amazing. <laughs> um and so that was the one time that really breaks my heart. But yeah, in all these years and almost twenty years of doing this, um, never made our way to Alaska. I, those guys, even in the, the years that I wasn't there, didn't go to Alaska. So the band is never gone. I'm really hoping that we can one day. I mean, you know, we never went to South Korea before we did, and that was only in like 2013, 2014, and that was awesome. So I'm still hopeful that we'll get a chance to go. That's really – that's the one place. Somebody said, what's the one place you really want to go? Every time I say it's Alaska. Dude. Well, fuck. What do you – I mean, you probably can't – if you have plans, you can't announce it. But what do you do – what do you guys do in December? Do you guys stay home? Uh, You know, we generally have been the last, I guess, like few years, we have been kind of staying home. But then something always like pops up. There'll be like a Christmas show here. And I guess a lot of that stuff happens like very last minute. I think it's because it's a lot of radio shows. Yeah. Yeah. All the jingle balls and shit. Exactly. And you end up just flying in, playing on a bunch of gear that's not your own for half an hour. And then it's like, all right, well, Christmas (laughs) is in six days, but honey, I got to go. And my Dude. wife wants to kill me, and I'm sure that's true for the other guys. But in general, we haven't really been touring too much in Christmas. But it's always different for us. I could say that, and then this year we'll end up being gone like up until Christmas Eve or something. So it's, it's always different. Well, the reason I ask is because Portugal the Man goes up every year and does like annual shows. In they, that's where they go for Christmas because everyone's family still lives up there. I so see you guys should go with them and just play the arena up there with them. Done Shit, deal. why don't you talk to him uh, for I will. Us, I dude. absolutely <laughs> will. I absolutely fucking will. You know, will. we're a funny band like that, like where people say, oh, who do you want to tour with? And we'll throw out a band like Portugal the Man and like people from the label, or they, they just look at us like we're crazy. It's like, oh, well, what? you're way too heavy for that. But then it's like a different band. Oh, well, you're not heavy enough for that. <laughs> and then it's, we just always seem to, we haven't been taken out by a band in four or five years. The last band to take us out was Iron Maiden. Um, and we had a ball, and they were great. Yeah, no big awesome. deal. <laughs> you know, it all, yeah, it was incredible. But, God, that was like 2013. 
And you guys have been headlining so ever since. Six years, it's been, yeah, no one's taking us out. And we're always kind of like tossing around these, you know, I get it. Like, you know, the Foo Fight, every band wants to go out with the Foo Fighters. But you'd think in six years or five years, whatever it's been, that like a band would have came down and said, hey, you know what? You guys do really well. We're going to take you guys out. But it just doesn't seem to happen for us. But um, I'm the undying optimist. I think it will. <laughs> One day, I think fucking Pearl Jam will call. Or Portugal the Man. I mean, that would be enormous for Dude, us. Dude, I'll like, work I would this shit that. out. I'll work this out. I'll get this in the Dude, this Dewey, hook us up, brother. Please, Dude, man. That's what I'm, I'm saying. Not, it's been really tough for us to go out with other bands. So we always headline and like. As unbelievable as it is, I mean, I know Coheed is this kind of under-the-radar thing that has, like, a really kind of very wooden, organic kind of fan base. But in the last couple of years, we keep breaking our ticket records in all these cities and doing our biggest shows ever. And it, it's funny because it kind of coincides with, like, the real last bit of kind of national exposure. Like, we're not on the radio that much. Lord knows we're not on TV. Yet – we're going into Indianapolis and selling like 800 more tickets than we did at our other biggest show there. And it keeps happening. Chicago last year, biggest show ever happened in like too many cities to just think it's a coincidence. So all these really great things are happening for the band in a way that you can feel it. You can feel those people at the show and you can feel that energy. So everything has been like never better in the world of Coheed, which is kind of strange how it seems to coincide with the fact that like, we don't get any of the, how do you say it, like usual routes of exposure that other bands seem to get. Sure. Like bigger bands bringing you out or kind of radio exposure or television, things like that. Like, I feel like it, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but this is just the truth. I feel like that stuff's never been lower for us. Yet, touring wise, like we've never been kind of bigger. I hate using that word bigger, but it, never connecting with more people in a live setting. So, um, I feel like it, the time is is kind of right now for a band to hopefully, I'm my fingers are crossed to to bring us out like a Portugal the Man or, or a band like that that is creative and is awesome, but hit it broke through, you know? Yeah. To say, hey, come play with us, and um, yeah, I'm hopeful something like that could happen. No pressure, uh, yeah. Dewey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, they just got back from uh, they just got back, I think, yesterday from South America doing all the Lollapalooza shit down there, and so. Uh, I'll hit them up because Alaska's easy. I mean, that's where I mean they play the arena up there. It's uh, every year at, at December they do like a small show and then they do a big show. And when I say arena in Anchorage, it's not quite. The, it's not like the arena you're going to play here in Portland with Mastodon, like that, like the Moda Center. There's no pro team that plays there necessarily, except for I think hockey. There's some hockey up there, but um, yeah, it's it's uh that's that would be easy. That would go crazy. People would lose. Oh, their that would shit. be sick, dude. That would be like all bullshit aside. That would be tremendous. Hey, so you're still friends with all those dudes? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's cool. So what can I ask you? Not to, I'm flipping the interview on here. I'm just really curious. So what happened? You you played with them, and then yeah, and then it kind of became Portugal the Man. And how did you find your way out of the band? Like, did, did another opportunity kind of happen for you? Or? Kind of. It was weird situation. So we when you it was I was laughing because when you said that that uh, you know you guys are too heavy for this like. We did a we did a full U.S. headlining tour with Poison the Well with Portugal. Like it was like mm -hmm. Portugal Man, uh, Poison the Well, Fear Before the March Flames, like in uh, uh, Heavy Heavy Lolo, I think. Anyway, so Anatomy of a Ghost broke up. Um, John wanted to start Portugal the Man, which was going to be like this electronic uh, side project, and so we all we all kind of went separate ways. John and Zach went and did that. Everyone else did other stuff, and then. Uh, 
randomly got a call from John uh, a few, maybe a year or two later. And he's like, hey, man, we got these shows with Dredge down in Santa Cruz uh, two nights. Do you want to come play with us? And I was like, hell yeah. And so I did. And then I ended up staying on for a while and, and just doing a bunch of touring and went to Europe. And, and uh, that was like the church mouth record cycle of theirs. And Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So that was that was it. And so basically, I think two nights or the day before leaving for Europe with them, I got a, an email from Ryan from Poison Well asking if I wanted to play bass for poison well and at the time poison well was bigger they played more aggressive music live which i like to do a lot better sure than, you know i like to move and um anyway they then they, they played more countries so i was like well shit this is a step up maybe i should take this so i told the guys i was like hey when when i get back from europe i'm gonna move to florida and, and play uh bass for poison well and uh they're like cool man that's a great great opportunity like and so they had my replacement set for when we got back from europe halfway through europe uh that deal fell through so i came back with no job <laughs> so oh that's much, shit you're fucking kidding that's me that's pretty much what happened and then yeah at that point i was like man i've been touring a long time like everything started to get you, I mean, you know what i'm talking about everything i started recognizing chevron bathrooms where it was like i was just yeah, in here dude. a week ago it just yeah, got old and I mean, that was before everything popped off. Like they were getting bigger and they were really big in Europe, but then everything just kind of exploded. It was insane. Um, but yeah, so I'm still I'm still good friends with those guys. We talk a lot, and and uh, Zach and John have been on the show twice now, I think. And um, you know, they support what I do, and and uh, it's cool. That must be fun, so, right? When you have them on the show, because you guys have such a long history and know each other so well, it must be cool when you have them on yeah. the podcast. That must be awesome. I'm always so curious, you know, like how other people carved out a life for the musicians in general, like yeah. how you carved out a life for yourself. Because it's like, it doesn't take a real thinking man to sit here and say, like, God, I must be the luckiest son of a bitch on planet Earth. You know, it's like yeah. so many talented folks that I grew up with that, you know, they work outside of music, you know, and yeah. it's just always really interesting to me. I think that's a cool story. I mean, it's a bummer what happened with the Poison the Love thing, but oh, it's you're awesome. doing your thing, right? You got this podcast and yeah, that's I'm awesome, a, man. I'm a commercial plumber, so I have like a day job that has benefits and retirement and everything oh, but, else. Dude, so. Right there. That's the shit, dude. Yeah. If there's one piece of it advice that i try to pass on to my stepdaughter who you know i've been around since she was three years old she's 15 now and i love her dearly and she's got a great dad in her life a great dad and he's married and they live a quarter mile from us and a lot of people that love her but it's to learn how to do something learn how to do something that you can take with you a skill i just you know my fear is that like you know if she goes to college and gets one of these degrees that's not really useful in the practical world yeah and i have a lot of friends growing up that were fucking gangsters and dumbasses and and they went into a trade school and people kind of uh, clowned them for it mm -hmm. and now they all have oh i'm buying my second house and this and that because <laughs> they are plumbers and electricians and all those people that clowned them that got their college degrees are calling up hey can i get rudy's number i need somebody to help over here we got the electrics all fucked up or oh we needed the plumbing help and it's like god that is the move dude and plumbers yeah. make a good living dude i mean yeah there's a plumber around here he's rich i mean the guy you know he's owned his own business and he was successful with the business i know it's not as easy as hey become a plumber and you're rich but this guy did it right and he's got a house that the whole neighborhood envies it's gorgeous and um that's awesome how did you do that did you like while you were touring did you ever have an interest in that stuff or did you end up going no. to like a trade school not at all man 
Uh, not at all. So how I, the hell did you learn how to do that? Well, I basically, yeah. So I started a band after, um, before I, I was with Portugal called The Burning Room, and, and my buddy Derek played bass, and he quit the band to get married and get, get a job. He basically went to the, the union hall and signed up, and it took, you know, a while to get in and got in. And he's like, dude, we're making, like, crazy money here. Like, you should apply for this. And I was like, I just kind of, sh like, shied away from it. I was like, dude, I, I'm not a mechanic. I don't uh, understand that stuff the way mechanics do. Like, people are just naturally that way sometimes. I, was more Dewey, I could not agree creative, more with you. Know? you. Yes. And so it's it's it was a weird step. And then finally, when I had, had stopped touring, I was like, shit, man, I've got, you know, kids on the way. Like, I need to do something, make more money. And uh, he was like, dude, it's open again to apply. And I applied. It took two and a half years to get called back it was right when the downturn of the economy happened and uh, they weren't hiring anybody so it took forever but then finally randomly on a on a lunch break i get a call from the hall and they said hey uh thank you for answering your phone for one we've called seven people already and no one's answered and then they brought us brought us in and and here you go so they basically dude, did you did you even remember it though two and a half years later <laughs> we're like, oh yeah that thing <laughs> well they offered me to go down to bend which is four hours away from here uh, oh because God. I had checked that I would do that because at the time, uh, you know, my son was younger and I hadn't had my daughter yet. And uh, in that time, had my daughter finished college, like, and then they're like, yeah, you're going to be on Bend on Monday. I was like, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, a lot can change yeah. in two and a half years, man. Yeah. So anyways, they they found a way to keep me in Portland, and then I've been doing it ever since. And it's it's something I approach differently than, than a mechanic, you know, with more of a, a, a different skill set. So I've found my way. Um, you know, I can do the job, but then when a problem arises, I, I go at it a lot differently than someone that would just jump in and try, you know, a certain thing. I, I look at it a lot differently. So that's been. Oh, helpful. no, that's really interesting. Like but, from a more kind of creative standpoint, you know, my father, who's like a legendary guitar player where we're from in Woodstock, New York, uh, all kinds of cool stuff, but just never had that kind of commercial success that brought with it money you know yeah he's a carpenter he always told me that carpentry is every bit as much art to him as as anything else and you know he's one of those guys that just yeah. like plumbing he's got a clue mechanic stuff he's got a clue like he's just built like that yeah and i'm not maybe that's why this stuff is so interesting to me because i'm i'm hungry to learn but like a real roadblock also is my brain it just doesn't understand <laughs> that kind of stuff and then uh, you know, I, I own a home now and I, this is new. This is not even a year old that I'm a homeowner. So I'm trying to learn about all this stuff. And I realize how much there is to know about plumbing, electricity, all this stuff that just like, it throws me for a loop, but I'm so hungry to learn. I'm willing to learn, um, open-minded, but I have a real deep rooted respect for the people that really know their shit with the plumbing and all this stuff. Cause man, not only is it useful in your life, but you make a good buck doing it. And I think that's awesome. When you say that you went in and so they worked with you, they were, I feel like that program is so hard to get into. You're lucky they weren't just like, oh, you can't go to Bend. Okay, fuck it. On to the next guy. So they let you stay in Portland? Well, they didn't. No, they, they said, when they said you're going to Bend, I was like, man, I don't think I can do that. And they said, well, you either want the job or you don't. And I was like, fuck. And so I called my wife and she's like, well, I guess you can take, I have a 95 Toyota Previa that a friend gave me for free, those old minivans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I was like, fuck, I'm just, I'm just going to go live in my van during the week and drive home on the weekends and get into this thing. And she's like, yeah, that's what we have to do. Then that's what we have to do. 
So I'm, I'm prepping for that, and then I get a call randomly that said, uh, hey, there's a, a, a new apprentice that has family in Bend and wants that job. Uh, so how do you feel about just going down the basically Lloyd Center area of Portland, which was 10 minutes from my house, and ended up Dude. being some of the coolest people I've worked with, and I've been with the company ever since. And, and uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's weird. It's, it's Having stable income is weird after touring for so long and being on, like, $5 a day per diems and shit. Like, yeah, you know, hey. you remember those days, but, like, of course, you just bought dude, a house from playing again, music. That's we? fucking crazy. Yeah, That's a, it's a huge um, success. Yeah, and, and you know, for me, I, when I left Coheed, I mean, I left the band. I was a drug addict, and I split. I took off. Uh, really fucked those guys over. You know, these guys are like, you know, as close as brothers as you can be. And I totally screwed everybody over. And then what? Flushed my life down the toilet. I was back on my mom's floor, all by my own doing too. It's like I couldn't even really blame anybody else but me. Yeah. But then tried to put it back together you know my wife back then she was my girlfriend she said all right well what do you do you're in a band right get in a band and i joined a band with uh this guy fred mascherino who was one of those bands that took coheed out i think our first tour ever was with this band breaking pangea they were total in you know 20 people a night but yep. the people that loved them really loved them and that was an evr um, band too right yep absolutely yeah, yeah, I remember. um so Breaking Pangea, guitarist Fred, he went and joined that band, Taking Back Sunday, and mm -hmm. wrote their biggest record, Louder Now, and was with them for years. But he had left that band, and he wanted to start a band. So I joined the band with him, and it was it was back to the real shit, dude. It was sleeping in the van. It yeah, was yeah, yeah. <laughs> $5 a day. I remember I didn't eat for the first two days of tour because I was too embarrassed to have to ask for money because I literally didn't have a dollar. I had nothing, you know? It's like, I know people that they're always crying broke, but then they're like, where do you guys want to order for dinner tonight? Yeah. And, you yeah. know, they always seem to have money, but like my <laughs> version of broke is motherfucker. I can't drink a water cause I don't have 99 cents. Like I have nothing. Yeah. Um, but in a way I look back and like, I'm thankful for that time. But again, probably why it's so interesting to me how <laughs> musicians have got lives for themselves. Cause it was, it was scary. You know, we, we signed a universal, but, you know, people think that major, you sign to a major label and all of a sudden you're just like flush with cash. And it just wasn't like that for us. You know, yeah. it was like we took a real kind of indie sensibility to it. We each took five grand, which for me, after not making money for three years, that five grand was spoken for like right away. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, we slept in the van and Fred was kind of the leader because we didn't have a tour manager or techs. You know, here I came from Coheed, who was as big as they ever were when I left. Mm -hmm. And then I was back to setting up my own stuff and loading it into the van. And then we've got a little trailer. And then but Fred, who was kind of the guy and he was like the acting tour manager. I used to have this joke and it was really true, though. His hotel budget hadn't changed since like 1999. And we would drive around till he found a $40 hotel room. <laughs> this is like 2010, dude. $40 hotel rooms like don't really exist that much. Yeah. Like, that motherfucker would find him. And it looked like a $40 hotel. It looked like exactly what you would imagine a $40 hotel room would look like. You turn on the faucet and just roaches fall out. No, that's a little egregious. <laughs> but, you know, it's as nasty as it got. Um but I guess looking back now, you know, as I stand here in my beautiful house looking at my yard, it's like I'm so thankful for that time because, I mean, it, it taught me again, like, hey, you, you got to work. You don't deserve. I, mean, I think as a young guy, I, I took it for granted. I think maybe I was so flipping scared of the success that I just like, well, this is what rock stars do. They, they get on drugs. And I'm not trying to say that that is really what happened, but I try to 
I don't know, kind of whittle down what the hell was I thinking? And I'm never really sure. But I think like a lot of things, it was a piece of a, it, like this is a piece of what happened, but it's made up of a million different pieces. But I think like, you know, scary. We were playing on TV. We were on Fuse. We had the all this stuff that I just, I don't know, I wanted it to happen, but I never really thought it would happen happened and i think i took it for granted and then after leaving the band thinking i'd never play with them again and kind of going back to the roots in a van setting up your own gear really taught me to fall in love with this because i'm not sure i did in the first going i I would i'd actually i hate touring i'd say i just want to go home and it's like looking back now it's like what a fucking brat shut the fuck up dude you lucky lucky little piece of shit and you want to go home i miss my girlfriend which I don't want to water down the pain. The pain was real. You know, that's like one of the biggest parts about touring. And it's almost like it's kind of funny when you talk about it, like uh, the girlfriend stuff. But you're a young guy. You're in your early 20s. What do you think your girlfriend's doing while you're gone for six months? You know, it's like she's doing what people do when they're 21 years old. Like she's hooking up. And unfortunately for me, it was like with my friends and it fucking hurt, dude. It was like kind of life changing, life altering pain. I think that has a lot to do with why I hated. I mean, that is that's why Mm -hmm. I hated it. I just wanted to go home and kind of, I don't know, lick my wounds. But fast forward to 2010. Here I am back at the beginning, straight up playing basements again. Um, Smallest of small tours and really got to kind of figure out. I don't know. One day I said to myself, this is either going to suck or be awesome. And it's all up to you. And I hate to have such a lifetime movie moment, but it really was a tangible (laughs) moment that I said that, or somebody said that to me and I was like, Holy shit, they're fucking right. And it was the first time in my life I ever had like an adult thought like that. Like instead of being like, Hey, fuck you, man, this is all your fault. I was like, Oh shit, you're actually right. And it changed everything for me. Um, and now I can't imagine my life without touring. Uh, but also, you know, I'm aware that like this life is finicky, you know, right. It's like, and it's so fragile. Like this could be over at any moment. So I really try to enjoy it Uh, again. Hate to sound so corny, but it's really the truth. I I just try to enjoy every moment as much as I can and and not take it for granted. So I feel really lucky that I got to go back in the van and do it like that. And, you know, tour around the country, meet people, sleep at people's houses. It was the real like back to square one type of shit. How many times have you woken up? (laughs) on a kitchen floor somewhere to some kid's mom you thought was old enough and it was their place and it wasn't and they had no idea who the fuck you were and why you were in their house <laughs> yeah luckily i can only really remember once or twice oh. that happening but it definitely happened and then you gotta like explain like oh well, we're in this band and the parents are just like what the fuck jimmy get down here like oh shit no guns oh, in the face so or anything like that. I talked to, I think I talked to Ian McKay about that on the show do, when we, we were chatting about touring and, and waking up on someone's floor, like, and randomly it was someone's mom or someone's, you know, significant other that had no idea that, you know, their oh, band that would was be going, even worse. Dude, like the boyfriend or the husband or yeah. wife comes home like, uh, what the fuck? And you know what oh, a house smells God. like when, uh, post show sleeping on the couch or the floor five or six people just destroys the place and it's oh, oh i'm God. sure yes of course but shit so what we you i wanted to talk about this a little bit with you i'm sure you've talked about it probably a lot but it 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 hits home to me um and a lot on this show is when you when you were um when you got into drugs was that through music was that during coheed or was that beforehand 
I mean, I, you know, yes, it was during Coheed, but I was also like every other kid I grew up with. I'd smoke pot. And, yeah. Like, you know, some kids would uh, get some Vicodins and bring them around and I'd enjoy those. But it wasn't a problem at all. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah. You know, you know, maybe I'd eat Vicodins and then six months would go by and I'd do it again. And then again, you know, my memory really sucks. But for some reason, these big moments stick out it was after a show in Syracuse, New York. And Coheed had played with Goldfinger. We got to open up for Goldfinger. Oh, shit. The, yeah, it was you know, what a weird bill, yeah. too, right? Like, um, but it's a big show for us. There's 300 people there, and we're first on the bill. And, like, John even watched us play and was like, hey, they're pretty good. I mean, he probably thought we sucked because we did, but he said we were pretty good, which is cool. <laughs> and uh, uh, my my friend Pat handed me a pebble-sized piece of Oxycontin. I'd never heard of it. I, you know, What did I know? And he said, I said, what the fuck's that going to do? You know, he said, take it, dude. And I took it. And about an hour later, I said to him and I said to Travis and Travis from Cody remembers this because it was like awfully telling of like what would transpire in the future. I said, I've waited my whole life to feel like this. And it just Whoa. I was high, man. And I fucking loved it. Like, I don't know, like for a kid that grew up never feeling very cool or all of a sudden I was cool. I felt cool. You know, I felt <laughs> Not like cool, like I'm smoking a cigarette, so I'm cool. I just felt every edge of life was rounded off. And like, not, I don't want to sound like a total prick here, but like all of a sudden I would get like laid all the time. Now I never had, I did all right, man. Did pretty good, you know, yeah. compared to some of the guys. It's like, they look at me batty when I say that I was shy or never felt cool. Cause I always had my girlfriends and girls and stuff like that. But like, I was always very shy. And so I was always very uncomfortable in social settings and, the drugs made that completely disappear. And here I am, like, hooking up with all these holly. I, I thought I'd figured it out. I thank the, the Lord. Thank you, God, for blessing me with this Oxycontin. It gives me everything I need to be. And then it just began and became it soon after. It became an everyday thing. And, you know, walking and now realizing, too, man, like what Claudio and Travis, like, were dealing with as, like, me and Mike just, like, continued to spiral down I mean, it got ill. There's stuff, you know, that like those guys haven't spoke about a whole lot. But like, I remember a rehearsal in 2005 and like Mike is nodded out, sitting down in the middle of a song, can't play. And I keep running to the bathroom to do a bump of coke to get up enough that I can even like be awake because I'm so fucked up from dope. And at that point, I'm on straight heroin and just, you know, things were really ill for those guys. And Claudio just somehow we were talking about this like relatively recently in the last couple months and. Claudio had said to Travis, yo, one of these dudes is going to die. Like, we're going to need to replace him. One of these dudes is going to die or they're going to leave the band, something. Because it had gotten so far out of control. But, like, to your original question, was it through music? No. It wasn't in a lot of ways. Yeah, it happened after a show that I tried Oxy. If music wasn't a part of my life, I'd have probably been hooked on that shit two years earlier. Because it was everywhere in my hometown. All my buddies that weren't in bands were doing it. You know, it was yeah. like, if anything, music saved me. Because I think people have this kind of idea that like, oh, well, touring. Who was? Somebody told me this great story about, you know, they were a junkie like me, went into rehab and got cleaned up. And uh, their sponsor said to him, man, it must be hard being a, a musician and, and not doing drugs, right? And my friend was like, oh, yeah, man, yeah, man. And the guy was like, yeah, fuck you. Guess what? It's hard being a mechanic and not doing drugs, too. 
Yeah. And, uh, and what he said, it's hard. Yeah. It's like, if anything, dude, music made it hard to do drugs. I could, you know, we weren't Motley crew. We weren't flying in on a private jet. I don't care what size Coheed was. Even at our biggest, it was hard to get drugs. You can't just roll into a party. Who's got the heroin? It's yeah. not that kind of drug, you know? Yeah. Um, and trust me, I tried and people were like, get the fuck out of here. You scumbag. And it's like, Oh, please help me. But you know, it just it made it harder to get high, it made it harder to do drugs, which probably was a fucking blessing, dude. I kind of imagine if I was home and got into this stuff and doing whatever I did to make money and music wasn't a part of my life. It's a pretty good idea that I didn't make it and that I died like like so many of my friends. And, uh, you know, I've lost a lot of people. I mean, a lot of I think most people have. Yeah, I think heroin has really ripped a hole. Heroin and opiates in general has really ripped a hole yeah. in this country, and it's serious, man. And I think most people that I talk to have had somebody go through it. And I just—it's hard to think of a back of what I don't think I was making conscious decisions. I tried a little pill, I got hooked on it, and then it was—that was it. Who wants to be dope sick? Nobody. And I—I I, yeah. I would do anything to not be dope sick. And then it became heroin. And I'm, again, I thank God. Oh my God, it's way cheaper than my oxycontin that's this is what great. i was gonna ask that my brother the same way my brother had knee surgery at 15 skateboard wreck uh hurt his knee and he was on the the medication they gave him and it got too fucking uh he got hooked in instantly and then it became too yeah. expensive and he moved to hair freebasing heroin exactly the and same thing though. it touches exactly everybody like cancer thing. man it's fucking crazy yeah and it's a real you know it's just such a shame that like and you know i take total responsibility it's like but who doesn't want to feel great that's you what's know? terrifying like, me to me is that that feeling is out there i have not felt it but the fact that it's there but you have to go to that place to get it is fucking crazy it is crazy it's scary right yeah it's like it's terrifying you know my wife had, had never you know she had i'm sure had some fun in college she never did drugs or anything like that you know i'm sure she took an e-pill well she's a teacher i shouldn't be saying this stuff but i'm sure in her college years <laughs> she tried some ecstasy or some blow or something but yeah you know when i had to tell her like hey listen i'm gonna hit it from her for the first year that we dated and i finally had to tell her when a drug dealer put a hit on me and Holy was waiting shit. outside our house oh shit got deep for me dude what the fuck and then I, yeah insane. i had to tell her yeah, well, who knows if he'd have really killed me? I, he surely would have fucked me up. I mean, he's in jail right now for, you know, hurting somebody really, really badly. But this yeah. was the kind of guy that you don't fuck with. And, yeah. And, like, I fucked with him. And I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I was so gangster. I was like, oh, fuck it. No, I rationalized that I'd be able to pay this off. And I wasn't. And I'm a junkie. And I did all my own supply. And I was supposed to be. I'm selling drugs. <laughs> Things got so ugly and so awful. And I had to tell my wife, you know, about, hey, I'm. I'm a junkie, I'm, uh, you know, and I can't believe that she didn't leave me. Um, she saved my life. You know, she moved me a hundred miles or 50 miles away, about an hour's drive away from my hometown, mm -hmm. paid for me to live. I had no band. I had nothing going on. And she paid for me to live for years. And she really, you know, if, if any one person, she got to do it for yourself. But if any one person really willed this thing into fruition, it was my wife, Tammy. But when I brought up heroin to her, she was like, Ew, you know it has yeah. this like stigma about it. So you like you just you hide it from everybody that you can. But you know you, I don't know, you also wear it on your sleeve too. I feel like if I was at the store and like a really hard up junkie walked in, I'd be able to either smell it on them or just see it in their face somehow. Mm -hmm. um, maybe not, but 
Yeah, God, I mean, it's been a long time, too. I mean, we're coming up on like eight years, uh, you know, without drugs. So it's been a, a long time. It feels like a different guy, you know. But yeah, you talked about your brother, dude. And it's like everyone has that same exact story. And yeah. that is frightening, right? It's and that's clockwork. It's crazy. It's, it's yeah, just, dude. yeah. The fact that that's become cliche is insane. You know, like it's something that's that that potent and that it just gets its hooks in you like that. And it makes you do things that you can't even imagine like you're you're like you're talking about like shit like i don't know i don't understand how how people can play high like that like especially how you're playing you're one of the greatest drummers i've ever seen like it and yeah I, like, dude it's awesome and it's i don't understand how that can happen you know like it's well you like, know once you're a junkie you're just getting like normal in a way it's like yeah. you, it, that's the cruelest irony it's that like this perfect feeling you've ruined it for yourself by doing the drug. Mm -hmm. Like, because it, all you're doing is chasing that. But like, you know, there were shows that the show was secondary, you know, to yeah. me in those years, the show was like, it mattered the least. And that how, again, taking it for granted, you know, I've had to like kind of look myself in the mirror years ago and, and face some really hard truths. And like, you know, that I was so thankful to get this second opportunity to play with Coheed again, because I really didn't think it would ever happen. I mean, I I almost look at this as like, again, I'm, gonna, I'm turning into such a corny bastard, but <laughs> it, it's going to sound so cheesy. But it's almost like the reward for really letting go. Like somehow I made a couple adult decisions. I made a decision to like you know, move out of Kingston, New York, which, mm -hmm. you know, Kingston can be an awesome place. There's so many talented, awesome people there, but like anywhere, you know where to get in trouble. It ain't good for you. That was one adult decision. And I don't know if I made the decision. My wife dragged me kicking and screaming up to Albany, New York, but, um, couple, you know, there've been a couple adult decisions that I made that kind of, I guess, fueled, uh, the, to me, the band inviting me back into fold was a reward for letting it go because i had truly let it go i didn't think that we'd play together again and i had accepted and again that was one of those adult things that i did and maybe like a maturing josh or a maturing mind soul that i said this is over and you need to accept that and it fucking hurt dude it was like to feel so replaceable and just like that none of that matter all those miles on the road and all that stuff, you know, and I had pushed those guys to the brink, dude. I called them the day we're leaving for a European tour and told them I'm not coming. I said, I'm not coming. Can you imagine, dude? dude. Are, and, and and like it, I was so wrapped up really what was happening. And I don't I can't explain why I wasn't just honest with them. I'm afraid to go to Europe because I'm uh, I'm going to be dope sick. But I had spent so long promising that I'm, I'm off drugs. Oh, no, no. I haven't done that shit in like a month. dude. I'm good. Which it, it don't work like that. I yeah. mean, after a month of getting clean, I still could barely get myself dressed. But um, yeah, I spent so long lying to everyone that cared about me. I pushed everyone to the brink, you know, and then the day of a show. And this is like it's almost funny how ludicrous it is. But I figured I'm going to tell Blaze, the manager, I'm going to yeah, yeah. tell him that I'm crazy and that that I uh, I've lost my mind. And, and then they'll leave me alone. So I told him there was demons on my stairs. What? What? That poor guy must have been like this fucking idiot. You called Blaze and um, told him that. I told Blaze, told Blaze there was demons on my stairs. You know, I also was shooting heroin, dude. I was fucked up and just said whatever came to mind. I remember I would just 
nod in and out of consciousness while talking to him and his assistant, Lindsay. And just I have this like very vague, foggy recollection of the things that I said and the things that I did. But I think what I was trying to do was trying to make them think that I was crazy. So either they'd leave me alone or they'd bust in and help me. It was all also like a test to see who cared. But, you know, you can't do that kind of childish stuff because you push and push and push. And at some point they're going to be like, I mean, hey, dude, if I had somebody in my life right now that pulled half of the shit that I pulled on those guys, I would be excommunicado a long time before they did. Um, but it was like a very immature, like almost like test to see if they cared. I mean, I remember like just thinking some of these bonds that I had made on the road would save me. I used to have this thought. I've never said this to anyone, but I used to have this thought that Dustin and Riley from Thrice were going to come and find me in my hometown and save me and say, we love you, dude. What are you doing to yourself? But and it, that's not on them. That's not their responsibility. <laughs> we are friends. But well, it was so pathetic and like childlike of me. And I just I don't know. I, I just wanted somebody to save me, but I had to save myself. And I feel like saving myself, the reward for that, like the universe said, OK, you can be back in your band as cheesy as that sounds. But I had truly let it go like it was it was over. Dude, put it this way. I got a job for minimum wage at Equal Vision. And uh, I'm working in the warehouse mm -hmm. at Equal Vision Records. Yep, yep. What records do you think I'm packing up, sending off to people? <laughs> Cody, <Cohe> Cambria <laughs> records. I'm putting records that I played on my rec, packing up Coheed shirts. And, like, you know, I knew that, like, man, this stung. I went and did Warp Tour with my rap side project at 30 years old. And, like, I remember the singer from Less Than Jake, like, invited me and my friend MC Lars to come up. And, and rap on stage and mc lars had a more of a name than me and signed me to his label but like after we performed the guys from less than jake saw the cover of my record which is like a little girl with a pile of cocaine in front of her mm -hmm. it was called sick kids mm -hmm. and they said uh don't bring weird science up on stage anymore <laughs> and that kind of stung too but um you know we got fucking laughed at dude like all these young kids were just laughing at me i had to swallow a lot of pride and i'm all right with that like i feel like all i'm happy all that stuff happened and uh, dare I say, like, you know, proud of myself in a lot of ways. Like I went through that and I'm glad that I did. And I think going through that, the end result was coming back to Coheed, even if I couldn't have seen it then. Even when Mike, the bass player, got arrested for the I don't know if you know about the that. It's like a popular thing? Yeah, he robbed a store and um, you know, I don't want to speak on that too much, but like yeah. even when that happened, I had no clue or inclination that we would ever play together again. Um, I did reach out to Claudio and Travis and Blaze, and my sole reason was to to tell those guys that I that I was sorry. And you know, Claudio has these lyrics like the most sincerest of apologies won't write you out of this one. And but I just wanted them to know that I I did finally understand that like I had really fucked up, and that for that I was sorry. God, I could have I could have ruined the band. You know, things are so finicky in this business in this world. You know. It hadn't been 20 years. The band had just broke, canceled that European tour, and then all of a sudden these festivals in America kick us off, and then people just – the band takes a year off, and then that could have been the end of it. Yeah. And I you know, I put all their work and the work that I did too, but their work too in jeopardy, and that's something – you know, I was always, no matter how selfish or fucked up my head was, I was always thankful that it didn't end. At the same time, you know, it was really hurtful to watch the band go on without me. Um, I'll never forget I was in a bowling alley. And uh, 
the running free, which is their first single without me came on uh-huh. and the whole bowling alley. I've come from a small town, Kingston, New York, the entire bowling alley is just staring at me. Oh, and I'm like, geez. well, what the fuck do I do? <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm just like, I'm not a good bowler anyway. So I, I automatically already look kind of uncomfortable bowling. And like, I just felt everybody's eyes on me and it just was so uncomfortable and weird. And I fucking went in the parking lot and just started crying. You know, it was like really hard to, and it really pissed me off that the song was so good too. Like that really ticked me off. I was like, fuck man, they made this awesome song in the rhythm section with fucking killing it uh, on that tune in particular. Um, I didn't know who had played. I didn't know it was Taylor Hawkins or one of my favorite fucking drummers, but it's a really like weird, hard time. But, um, yeah, I don't. God damn, I've been talking your ear off. Sorry. No, um, no, this is good because I, I mean, I've been curious about so many of these things. Like, there's that lyric in in Weird Science. Uh, what song is it? The the man with no audience, uh, or man without an audience? Uh, where you? Yeah, yeah. Where you said I used to leave suicide notes by my bed when I went to sleep because I'd rather people think I killed myself than OD. Yeah, was God, that, I, was that what, true? Dude, that is a hundred percent true. Yeah, and like that is one of the hardest things I've ever heard like i yeah. i was like man and i didn't I don't even know. realize dude that that line was almost like not filler but i didn't realize i was looking through old notebooks trying to find just like the beginning of a line something to spark like a verse yeah and what i found was those suicide notes just you still have you know, those. All the notebooks uh they're here somewhere when we moved oh i have so God. many notebooks and i remember like it was like I wasn't going to give these assholes the satisfaction of thinking I fucking OD'd. Oh, yeah. well, I'll just write a suicide note. It became like kind of cathartic. Like I, you know, you kind of like a journal. You get to say some things. And um, so in this notebook, I probably have a lot to like 30 or 40 different and page after page of suicide notes where I'd go from like how much I love my mom and dad to like a weeks later, they'd be angry at my mom and dad or like, you know taking some jabs there i mean it always was you know a goodbye to them but yeah i wasn't going to give anyone the satisfaction you know in my hometown i went from hometown boy made good to to you know oh look at that scumbag he ruined everything yeah um and with good reason too but man it was tough you know it was like i felt because of the band and the drugs you know i felt not just cool i felt proud of myself you know and um i mean this this stuff is deep because like I grew up in a band, you know, I grew up in a band with my brother, uh, Joey, who, who fronts a band called three. And, Mm -hmm. um, my dad was our manager. We signed to universal when I was 16 or something. And, you know, it's a kid, we were just kids. And, you know, the president of universal is telling us that we're going to be stars. And my dad, who was like this, like I said, this legendary guitar player, but had never had the commercial success that he was after, obviously had, you know, his, well, I have that other song that I did with Claudio called The Dust of My Dad's Dreams, because that's mm-hmm. what it was. My dad had his own dreams and ambitions so tightly intertwined to what me and my brother were doing that, you know, I, I quit that band. And uh, at that time, Claudio's band was like, you know, not as well liked in that town. You know, it was like they would kind of open for three mm-hmm. and I had left three. We're talking about on such a small scale here, you know, it's like you go down to Claudio's town, Nyack, and we would open for them. But like in Kingston, where I was from, which when you're that young, it's almost like that's your whole universe. I had quit the headlining band to join the opening band. And my mom, you know, God bless her. My mom is literally at death's door right now. And I'm not, I'm not oh. trying to talk bad about her in any way. But, you know, she did say to me, she said, 
she like disowned me. She said, no son of mine would leave the band. And it was like a big deal that Coheed went on to have success. And I think my mom held on to a lot of resentment about that success. And just, there's all these things that are so intertwined. I mean, they come into play, you know, when you're talking mm -hmm. about like how I feel about Coheed and how I feel about this relationship and all these things that I did to like damage it, you know, this stuff comes into play. You know, I was mad, not at the band, but I was mad at my parents that, like, you know, my mom wouldn't come and see us play. And, like, uh, I don't know. That hurt, you know? It's like I just wanted to make my parents proud. I was the black sheep my whole life. I still am. I'm the guy <laughs> that, like, somehow fucking made good, you know? And, like, my brother was just God's gift to the world. Like, But and but he was. That's, he never got in trouble. Me, I got suspended every other week, you know? Mm -hmm. Um I was out smoking weed with my friends, breaking 30 bottles on the train tracks. Oh, arrested. You know, all kinds of bullshit. Put my parents through hell. Um, my brother was like perfect little art student. And then I quit my brother's band and go and join up with this band that, you know, my mom's like, oh, they stink. And then we're huge. <laughs> it's like <laughs> she got really pissed and she would like, I just wanted her to be proud of me. I, I remember bringing home a videotape of us playing to like 1,500 people, which to me, it, looked, it was like an ocean of people. I couldn't believe there were that many people at a show that I was playing. We were the headlining band, and I played the tape for my mom, and I could see that it like kind of made her mad, um, which was just like a weird thing to swallow. So I had all this shit like wrapped up in me and intertwined in me and you know, you talk about that lyric to go all the way back to that yeah. the, about the suicide notes. Yeah, yeah I mean, that was true, and that was just a line that came. I never gave it much thought, but by and large, that's the line that people bring up the most from that record. And uh, I see why, but it's just so, it's kind of odd. At the time when I wrote it, it just was a line, and it was so true that I never even gave it a second thought. That's the thing. It's it was insanely just like, honest. It's insanely honest, and you wouldn't expect someone to say that to anyone that they had done that. Like it's, or You know what I mean? It's not something that you would expect to be true. Like, and that's why I wanted to ask. So I was like, man, maybe it's just in there for, you know, effect. But no, that's <laughs> – and there, no, it that really right isn't there, too, yet. goes to your – the way your mom was, was uh, you know, her her pride and, and um, you know, even when the band got huge, still kind of holding her ground kind of seems like that kind of crossed over into your, your wheelhouse with even that situation, like not – not wanting them to know that it was an od like oh no i'm going my own way you know what i mean like it yeah seems i think there was together. like a lot of yeah like kind of selfish bravado and yeah that. like i'm not exactly. gonna give anyone the satisfaction yes certainly my parents certainly the band and certainly every faceless person that would point and snicker at me in kingston and you know um yeah, <laughs> what an asshole. I wasn't going to give him the satisfaction. I'd make it make it seem like I did it on purpose. Now that'll show him. Like that. Yeah. What kind of logic is that anyway? Um <laughs> pretty it's funny how insanely dark it is. It's but yeah, dude, logic, I would yeah. Uh, yeah, addict logic. Dude. I've actually never heard that before, but god, I've never I have said so many that stories where <laughs> So yeah, that's perfect though, where I'd have to like that's all I could point to because it doesn't make sense. It's not rational. Like telling your manager there's demons on the stairs. And it's like, I can try to come up with what I think what I was doing, but addict logic, dude, something in my mind at the time yep. that made sense to do. And, you know, for the record, it wasn't true. I, there wasn't demons on the stairs. I think I just, I don't know. I resented the band too. I'd met a girl 
And like, I was like, what, what do I have to leave? When really, what am I saying? Why do I have to leave and go make vast amounts of money playing rock and roll music? Boo hoo, dude. Like, but at the time I had, I don't know. I felt like, woe is me. That's that going back to the whole taking it for granted thing. You know, I never thought you talk to me in those years. I never thought that I'd ever find a useful way to kind of use those years, but I'll be damned, Dewey. I feel like I have. And, uh, (laughs) I don't know if I'll say I wouldn't trade them because if I had the opportunity, I probably would trade them. But, you know, I I think I've been able to kind of reap some positive things from those years because I made a, a lot of stupid decisions. I mean, the whole Coheed fan base hated me, you know, and now I count a lot of those people as my really good friends. And like I had to fucking be honest and say, well, damn, dude, you didn't give them any reasons to like you. And that's, a, uh, you know, the more kind of friends that I have that are lost in the sauce, so to speak, and they're junkies and they're addicts and they're whatever they are. I see like how hard it is for them to be actually honest, like the word honest. It's like, all right, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I did steal that money. That's one level of honesty. But you look at yourself in the mirror and cut away the bullshit. I guess it's not easy to do, but somehow I was able to do that. And it changed my whole life, man. It was like, yo the shit that happened with Coheed was your fault. Mm-hmm. You did that. Nobody else. And all of a sudden, like taking some responsibility for what I did, like very soon after too, started breeding, like just good things in my life. And, um, yeah, I'm forever be thankful that I was able to take that step. I, it was not a conscious one. Cause I don't think I have the kind of intestinal fortitude. What do they say? I don't think I have the makeup to make that decision. It just like happened. And thank God that it did maybe a little bit of, like when you were talking about the story before about how you said you'd go to that other city and you were gearing up to go sleep in your van and then they call you and yeah. they say, hey, you know what? It feels like a little bit of destiny at play, right? Like yeah. there's some, maybe some something or someone. I'm not talking about God. I read that No Effects book and Fat Mike talks about oh, yeah, that uh, looks amazing. a colony of mole men yeah. under him that guide him and keep him <laughs> out of trouble. Sometimes I feel like that too. Like when he wrote that, I was like, fuck, man, and I'm not the god or the universe whatever it is but when you told me that story that's the first thing i thought i'm like there's a perfect example of like what if you just said to them like you know what that's just too far away and i can't do that now okay on to the next person but no you said yes and then it worked out it was 10 minutes from your house yeah it's it feels like a bit of hey and then sometimes there's just good luck too but like it also feels like a bit of destiny at play there that's an awesome story dude absolutely dude and i uh, appreciate that and that's uh, i mean yeah, I mean, and speaking to you know Travis and Claudio's character too, to to go through that much shit and then invite you back, you know what I mean? And they're probably proud as hell of you right now for what you've done and turned around and and probably happy as hell that you're playing with them, you know? Like it's back to where it was as much as it can be, you know? Um, yeah, I think crazy. so. God, you know what? It's been so long that I think I think they've kind of like I think we've all digested everything from that era. I think there was a time where they were really proud. And it's not to say they're not, but I think we're just, you know, I built up a lot of trust with those guys. I feel like, you know, if there was a junkie walking down the hotel room and dropped the needle right outside the door of my hotel room, those guys would believe me when I said it wasn't mine because I've built up a lot of trust. Like, you know, I think they know that I'm an honest man and I'm not a liar. And uh, we don't even think about drugs. We don't, but I also knew I was coming back into the fold where they had been dealing with a junkie. And lying and doing all that stuff. So I knew there was no room for any of that shit. And, uh, and there, there's not any way in my life now. I mean, I can, you know, I guess like a lot of rehab 
people in rehab and people that have used the program say one day at a time. But, you know, for me, and I dig that, I dig the one day at a time, but for me, it's just, it's over. Yeah. I can't imagine a scenario that would make me ever want to do drugs again. And, um, I mean, I'm afraid to drink Red Bull. I don't drink a Red Bull because it makes my heart palpitate. It's like 20 years ago, <laughs> I was trying to do my body weight in cocaine and then mix it with heroin and throw Jesus. a Xanax on top to go to bed. Yeah, like literally trying to die. And now I'm terrified to die. I don't drink caffeinated coffee. I'm the literal 180 version of that guy. But um, yeah, I hope Travis and Claudio are proud. You know, those guys and, you know, both of them aren't. I'm not always their favorite guy and they're not always my favorite guy, but I love them dearly. But even saying that probably overstates like we, we get along. I can say I'm better friends with Claudio and Travis right now today than I ever was. Mm -hmm. Those guys are like my brothers, you know, and as you know, and people that unless you do this, you don't really know this, but there's, there's like, you know, your wife in a special way. And then, you know, the guys that you tour with in a special way, it's like it's a marriage. It's closer than a marriage, dude. You fucking live in a tube. You live in a van. You've seen each other. And this is certainly true with me and the Kohi guys. We've seen each other at our best. We've damn sure seen each other at our worst. You know, seen each other break down. And, uh, you know, I hope it's like I talked about my mom and now she's passing. You know, it's like I plan on leaning on those guys. And I hope and I hope it's so far in the future. But when they go through this and a, and a parent. Or, or anyone close passes, you know, we'll be leaning on each other. You know, I love those guys. And Blaze, too, man. I mean, Blaze, every bit as much as Travis and Claudio, uh, you know, have a deep respect for those guys. I mean, those guys saved my life too many times to count. And I just, you know, I love those guys dearly. I hope we're in a band together forever. I can't believe it's lasted this long. So, fucking A. I definitely didn't think when I was 20 that I'd still be, you know, coming up on 40 years old, still in a band. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Luckiest son of a bitch on planet Earth. But I'll tell you what, if it all falls apart, I'm going to try to get into one of those programs so they can teach me to do something. So I don't know how to fucking do anything. <laughs> You're in the, the, the best place in the world to get into a trade because uh, Local One for the UA for Plumbing is over in New York, and they have the highest wage, I believe, in any union of the UA. It's insane. It's crazy. Yeah, but money. that's that's probably New York City, though, right? <clears throat> I'm what? like. Yeah, you got to three think, hours from there. You got to think the West Coast, and this is tying back to the this whole plumbing madness. But when they opened the apprenticeship in Brooklyn, they had to ask people not to camp out. But there's like fathers and and uh, husbands out there camped out for three days just to apply. Over here, Holy everyone shit. shows up like ten minutes before, just like yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. It's not looked Holy at over God. here like it is over there. Over there, there's still the pride and the the tradition over here it's just like yeah cool we'll sign up <laughs> well that seems better jesus i don't want to have to go camp out for three days to dude get... see i'm in upstate new york dude, dude. i'm yeah, in yeah, farm yeah. country yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm three hours from the city i wonder if i like stepped to a plumber you know somebody that's doing it and said yeah. hey free worker for a year i'm an apprentice and i want to learn i have enough money saved to get through this learn to get through this year so let's say i have all the knowledge i've been taught by a professional can just anybody take the certification? No, no. You have to do. Oh, shit, uh, you're kidding. Four years is the non-union apprenticeship. Five years is the union apprenticeship, and you have to have eight thousand hours, and I think it's like a thousand eighty hours of schooling um, before you can sit before the state and take the test. Uh, Holy and that's in, that's shit! In, that's in like New York over here in Oregon, but like there's right to work states where they could. I mean, 
you can get around that but it's it's uh it's a it's a long process and essentially it's not getting necessarily learning the process it's getting efficient at it is but is what it is like the actual act of plumbing is not that difficult it's getting in those situations where you have to work your way out of something and getting efficient and being able to do it fast is uh the main point i think to it well yeah i believe you 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 know a lot better than i do dude i can't so you if if i said today i want to be a plumber i'm not even in the fucking ballpark till i'm 45 uh, to be a journeyman yeah but you uh here's the thing though once you turn out you can you can as long as you keep your dues paid you can just go out you could go tour for another 10 years come back and be making the same the right whatever a journeyman's making like once you have that Man. license it's pretty badass if you have the time <laughs> that yeah and the, and the enormous commitment yeah. to do it and the know-how dude i'm starting yeah. at like beyond zero i'm starting at like negative six i really have a bad understanding of anything in that world uh being a mechanic forget that something yeah. about plumbing speaks to me a little bit more than i don't know i figured some things out here at my house we have a little bit of an interesting situation actually we have a septic tank yeah, here yeah, yeah um because we're out in the country and they moved it a few years ago they had to move it from the front to uh-huh. the back of the house uh-huh. um so i i walked the property with the guy that put it in like it's the family-owned company but septic tanks just scare me just because i've never had one yeah um and i know you know it's like if this thing blows like the floor is gonna blow it's like right under us the, the tube or whatever the mm-hmm. pipe yeah um do you deal with a lot of septics out there, or is it mostly no. public? No, it's mainly. But I do like hospitals, schools, um, hotels, apartment buildings. That's what's booming oh, right so that's, now. And it's always, always public, uh, public use, sewage and stuff, yeah. right? It's now, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I don't do the. It's ten bucks less an hour to do residential service, so I don't do that. But uh, oh shit, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes sense. If I, I was you, I'd be doing the same thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I install new. That's what you should do. You should call Blaze tomorrow and say, "Hey, man, uh, I think I'm going to try plumbing. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give fucking plumbing a try. Yeah, I'm going to give plumbing a try. Hey, let the guys know. It's all cool. <laughs> well, I'm kind of neighborhood friends with this guy up the road who's a plumber. Like I said, we all envy his house. Yeah. Um, neighborhood friends i've said hi to him like four times we're not friends <laughs> he seems like a really nice guy though i get a good vibe from him he seems cool as hell he's young too he's not an old guy he's probably 40 he's probably the same yeah. age as me yeah just killing it yeah um, there's a lot of risk like a really nice fella there's a lot of risk in that starting a bit that's why not everyone does it but it can be very lucrative starting a business but there is a fuckload of you have one leak in a hospital it could be three million dollars damage in over a weekend it's insane oh dude there's no way of course it's not easy because if it was easy then everybody would do it of course there's risk and it's hard but it still is a skill that you have like something goes wrong at your house you know how to fix it that right there um i'm just waiting for like the ten thousand dollar problem here when like shit comes pouring out of the floor it's like ah (laughs) um that's my real big fear, but that's just deceptive. In fact, it was Claudio who talked me into yes, because he had this house and I loved it. S- similar to here in the country. Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, the septic. I'm just not sure. And he's like, dude, the beige had the septic. And I was like, sold. All right, I'll buy that place because I loved that house. I just was a little bit afraid because I, you know, I guess I'm a creature of habit and all the other places I'd ever lived, but I never owned a house before. So I was renting and it's just a different thing. If you're renting, it's not yours. So I wasn't always that worried about if there was a clog, the landlord would come and fix it or call for whatever. It's yep. on the landlord and we'd figure it out. And even that rare, I think maybe that happened once or twice. 
um, in all the years that I've been living away from home. But when it's yours, it's just a little bit different. There's a little bit more on the line. So, but fingers crossed. I'm only joking about the floor exploding. Please, universe, <laughs> don't don't do that to me. Um, but I guess that's what happened here. I know you don't want to keep talking about plumbing stuff, but I guess that's what happened here. There's a brand new floor in one of the living rooms. Well, I call it. There's only one living room, but. Um, and, and it's not like a great floor, but and the real estate agent tells us after we already love the place, she's like, oh, yeah, well, they put this floor in after the pipeline exploded. And we were like, uh, what? We That's not in the report here. We never saw anything about that. And I could tell she was like, oh, shit. <laughs> and so, the yeah, it exploded. It runs right under the house. So, like, if something clogs up and it builds up enough gas or what, whatever's in there, poop. It'll explode up through the floor, and that would be really bad. So I'm always like terrified that's going to happen. You'll be on tour in Anchorage. <laughs> oh yeah, that, of course. Yeah, it won't be while I'm here. My wife would be like, "What do I do?" Actually, you know what? My wife's badass. She'd probably be better at handling it than yeah, me. Yeah, she'd honestly, hop on but... YouTube and fix it. That's yeah, she'd be down there herself fixing it. But um, yeah, this is all. This is what being an adult is, I guess. You know, we yeah. have a house. We got this property. We're and, you know, I never thought I'd get so excited about, like, this domestic stuff. Like, this is definitely not what turned me on when I was 20, but it really does at 40. I like, you know, making the house nice. And I'm really Mr. Mom when I'm home. My wife is a school teacher who is also the varsity volleyball coach and the JV softball coach. And coaching takes up so much of her time. So when she's gone at work, I take a lot of pride in making sure she has a really clean Nice smelling. I get the senses going, uh, dinner on the table. And I, I take that job like really seriously. It's important to me. And in a way, I guess it's like part part of like paying her back in a way, I guess, you know, like she really took a gamble on me. Yeah. We were talking to her mom, my mother-in-law the other night and like just kind of I don't think my I don't think my mother-in-law ever really grasped the gravity of like how just fucked up my life was. And she had the same question as me. She's like, why, why did you date me? I've asked my wife, like, what? And she always says, I, I saw something in you. And I, I actually believe her. I think that can just be some fodder a girl spits. But, like, she obviously must have. She paid for me to live for years. I mean, I was bringing in nothing. And I don't think she was always psyched about it. But she always had my back and always believed in me. And she just apparently, you know, she took the gamble of a lifetime. Can you imagine, like, her girlfriends, like, oh, what God. they must have said to her? Not to mention, I was also 260 pounds. So, on top of all that, I'm not even, like, really handsome. I'm all fat and sweaty all the time because I'm a fucking junkie. I yeah. just look like shit. And um, my jokes must have been really good because that's I made her laugh. She thought I was funny. So, thank God for that. But, uh when I Man. clean up the house and do all that home kind of domestic stuff, it really, I don't know. I really, really enjoy it. It's been years of it too. So yeah. it um, gives you purpose. Not like this is, yeah, it really does. It gives dude, you at home purpose. sometimes what, when you're in a band, you have no purpose at home. That's exactly you can really what I was going to say. You don't have, you don't feel like you have a purpose when you're home. It's a weird thing. Like it's hard to feel important when you're home because everyone's been living without you and having to deal with that for so long. Then you're home. It's like, wait a minute. Then you're just kind of biding your time, you know? That's very. That's very. Uh, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Because it was, yeah, the the purpose thing. They tell you a lot of people when they retire, you know, die shortly after they retire because they don't have a, a meaning or a purpose anymore. Like they're just kind of yeah, fucking a, dude. Yes, totally. Crazy. And nobody, you get it because you've lived this life. It is, you know, I have buddies that say, "Oh, you lucky bastard, you could sleep till whenever you want," but it'll drive you crazy to not have anything to do. Yeah. Um. 
it's just like, yeah, okay, a couple days of relaxation after the tour, great. But I put myself on a training regime at home where I run eight miles a day. <laughs> I swear, I know it's bad for me. I'm actually hurting from doing it, so <laughs> taking a few days off here. But um, I run like that to be able to play, but then I kind of like a – like a pro athlete in that way. That's my job for the day. I get up and go to the gym for three or four hours and like yeah. get that in. But now that I'm getting old and I hurt my hip the other day, I've been off for like, I haven't taken four or five days off from the gym in years. And now this is like day five off. And truth be told, I'll probably go hit the gym after I get off the phone with you, but <laughs> keeping it really light. Cause I hurt my butt somehow, like my butt cheek hurt. And they tell me it's my hip, but um, that kind of gave me purpose, but it wasn't dude. That's not the kind of, the purpose is making the home nice for my wife when yep. she gets home and taking care of dinner and stuff. And it is, it makes it, it's really important. And it's something that I need without that. God, I'd be totally aimless and kind of cabin feverish. Like what the hell do I do with myself? You know? Yeah. Um, so thank God for that. I, I love my Mr. Mom duties. And then I feel bad though. Cause then when I leave, they do slip back into normalcy, but, um, you know, they order dinner out. My wife sometimes doesn't get home till she leaves at six o'clock in the morning and doesn't get home till eight o'clock at night in during volleyball season. And so her and my daughter, they'll just like order food out and stuff, but it can kind of sting sometimes when they slip into their routine and you're not here. And then yep. you're like, Oh, well the world didn't crumble without me. They, uh, they're just fine without me. See, that's so maybe that's why I work so hard at making it great. Yeah. That's why, that's why you lack the purpose. Cause wow, they're perfectly capable of living without me. And then you get yeah, home and not it's a like, fun yeah. feeling. Yeah, but now you're making it. What it, I mean, that's one of the most important jobs in the world is is someone in the home that's that's you know make, taking care of things and keeping everyone running and keeping everyone happy and fed and and fulfilled. I mean, it's yeah, it's a big deal. Oh, that's big time, dude! You know, I have a real deep respect and understanding of like growing up, knowing like what a housewife would go through. Like, it finally makes sense to me why like me and my brother would kick our socks off and throw them on the floor. Meanwhile, my mom had been cleaning for six hours, and she'd be like, "Sock." Yeah. Are you kidding me, sock? <laughs> and now I get it. I'll clean. I'm a neat freak now in my old age too. Who knew post heroin Josh would be such a neat freak? <laughs> I need everything where it's supposed to be, and like I'm on my hands and knees, like scrubbing the floor like twice a week. And then the, you know we let the dogs out in the dog pen, and they come. You know they're dogs. They're out there digging and playing in dirt, and they come in, and it's just like infuriating. You're just watching all your work just go <laughs> down the tubes. But it's a never ending job keeping the house up and running and clean and all that stuff. But one that I'm happy to have, and I mean, we're leaving here in a couple of days. I'll miss it. Well, I'll be in Europe and uh, we'll be missing. I will be missing doing my domestic Mr. Mom duties here at the homestead. Yeah. Yeah. I bet you will. Yeah. I absolutely. Did you go that. to, you said you traveled and toured in Europe, huh? Did you, did you like going to Europe? I loved Europe because I went, uh, it was, everything was new. So I, I think I actually said this to the guys, like, we just got to this club. I'm going to go, like I was joking about the Chevron bathrooms, like recognizing them. I said, I'm going to go anywhere I go in this venue. Even the bathroom is somewhere I've never been before. Every single sure. restaurant, everything, every person I meet is someone I've never met before. Every single, you know, and I got this feeling the first time we played in, in Germany, we landed, like I crashed out. They did like five hours of press, went and got some food. Drove to the first town and got on stage, and the second we hit that first song and people went nuts, I got this, like, overwhelming feeling I used to get when I was, like, 17 playing music in, like, rec centers and shit. It was, like, this, like, feeling of rejuvenation. Everything was new, and watching people on the other side of the world loving what was happening was amazing. And then I, I after the three-song, you know, first three-song break, 
I went back to my amp where there's an ice cold bottle of water and I went to chug it and it was fucking fizzy water and I almost threw up everywhere. <laughs> and I didn't know over there that it was all bubbly or what do they call it? American water's boring. That uh, Oh dude, that's the quintessential Europe story, oh, the fizzy fuck. water, which I drink a shitload of seltzer water at home, but over there everything's fizzy water. Well, you're prepared and for it. it. <laughs> I was yeah, chugging like it like a know bottle it's of coming. Aquafina. Yeah, like you think some nice smooth H2O's coming Holy down, but all those shit. bubbles and like Oh yeah. Oh my god. That's so funny. And you know, something else that struck me is odd. You said ice cold water, and I find in Europe like the water's never cold. No, but, everything's. Like, they don't lukewarm. have ice there or something. Yeah, no ice, no Pepsi. <laughs> it's all. It's so funny, right? Yeah, lunch meat. Just oh, the lunch meat. Just leave it out on the table all day. That's how we roll over here. But yeah. um, I found just like the other stories about touring. I found a way to really enjoy it. Um, you know, there was a time I always felt so far away from home, and you know, we've been doing this long enough now that we've seen technology create some really kind of more ideal touring situations. Like back in the day. I'd be walking around with six, you know, pounds, and I don't mean six pounds. I mean six weighted pounds of change in my pocket, trying to find a payphone <laughs> to try to you know, jingle jangling down the goddamn street, trying yeah. to find a payphone to call home for eight minutes to try to talk to my girlfriend who hasn't talked to me in three days. And it was just like Europe was awful, but now I really enjoy it. And you can FaceTime with your lady at home, and oh, you yeah. can just be. I still feel connected to the world, which is awesome. Yeah. It's super. It's not. It's not easy, but it's way easier now, for sure. We used way, to sleep way, way, way easier, uh, dude. I mean, we at this point, I feel at home and just in the United States. Like if I'm in the continental U.S., I feel at home, and that kind of makes Europe exciting. It's like far. It feels uh, exotic. Yeah. Um. You know, the U.K. is just like it's kind of just like America, but there's enough little differences that it feels kind of exotic. But I enjoy going to Europe now. Luckily, they don't. They don't send us over for months at a time either. It's usually pretty short trips, but it's surprising because it's so dang expensive to get over there and bring the whole crew over and all that stuff. But I think this trip is like two weeks. Uh, then we do that big tour in the U.S. with Mastodon, and then I think we go back over for another two weeks or something. So it's never like you're there for eight weeks or something, which that might, you know, yeah. by the end of that tour, I'd be definitely ready to come home. But I do enjoy Europe now. and. That's something that, that wasn't always true. I mean, the fans were always awesome. I mean, I always liked the shows, always appreciate, you know, it'll knock your socks off. Like, mm -hmm. holy shit, there's oh, yeah. people that are connecting to what you do, and you're how many thousands of miles away from home? So <laughs> yeah. that was always cool. But um, although, you know, it's funny, man. I bet those Portugal shows in Europe were the shit. You said that they were really big in Europe. I, we've never really broken Europe in the way that I think a lot of people think we can, but it just didn't happen for us. Like, you know, in the UK, it's great. It's like, feels just like America. But then we get into, I don't know, some of like just off the beaten path types play. Cause like Germany's all right. You know, Germany's been pretty good to the heat, but like France, for instance, we'll play in Paris and it's just, it just doesn't happen for us there. It's so funny. You know, we'll play in the UK and there's 2,500 people there singing every word and the, the energy so coming from the crowd is like unbelievable. And then we travel the five hours to Paris and, you know, play to 300 people. Tops. That's insane. Top 300 people. Man, it's always been that way. It's just so never weird. connected there. Oh. It is really strange. And Dude, we played a show, that Never Ender Tour. <clears throat> it's like a series of tours that mm -hmm. we do where we play around. I know everybody's playing a record front to back now, but, um, you know, the guys have been doing it for years. We were talking about doing things like that even back in my first tenure, but it's something they started while I was gone, uh, and it continues on. We kind of mark the anniversary of records and do these Never Ender shows. Now, the Never Ender Tour was just, awesome for us you know here in the states just mm -hmm. incredible 
Uh, the rooms were bigger. They were selling out. Just really, really awesome. Um, but in Europe, we went over, and it went great everywhere. But there was one show. Where the hell was it? Not Maybe in Switzerland or something, but playing this gorgeous club, dude. Probably holds like 1,500 people. Really nice, modern-looking club. And uh, <laughs> probably kill me for telling people this, advertising this. Paid attendance was like 30 or something, dude. It was <laughs> awesome. It was so funny. What's not awesome is I hope nobody like lost their ass. Somebody lost money. Like, but God, that's not awesome. That sucks. Yeah. But you got to try to make it fun. So we had one of our crew guys just out in the crowd and he danced and sing every word. And we were like playing for him. <laughs> so we made it fun. And I think the people that did come, they got a show, baby. Like probably one of our best shows of the tour, just strictly playing wise. Cause there was no pressure. We were just having fun up there. So it was a really cool show, but nonetheless, it was like, I don't think we're going to be coming back here anytime soon. <laughs> um, but God, I like, I, I wish a bigger band would take us out through Europe. That would be fucking awesome. Or the right package that could get people to come out. But yeah, yeah it definitely was not popping in uh, Sweden or Switzerland, whatever the hell it was. I forget exactly. Maybe Stockholm. Maybe, I don't know where the heck it was, but, yeah. and it wasn't that long ago. We're talking like a year and a half ago or something. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Europe's a kind of a tough nut for us to crack. It's it's odd. Australia too. Like we do really well in Australia. Like the shows are great, people, but energy coming back. That's how I judge a show. Yeah. yeah I don't really yeah, yeah. I'm not really privy to all the money stuff. I don't need to know about that. I need to know are is it connecting with the people in the crowd and are they giving us energy back? And Australia has always been ass kicking, but we haven't been over there in a few years either. Um but I'm hopeful to get back. I just know it, it's really expensive and the timing's got to be right. But I sure hope we get a chance to go over there again soon. Man, you guys need to go out with uh, – you were talking about Thrice earlier. I just talked to Ed yesterday. Uh, they're buddies too. And, and um, yeah, that would be a great tour, tour of those guys again. But uh, Oh, fucking A, dude. It's like, they're going to the Philippines. I'm always trying to like, tour with Thrice. All over the place. But, man. And, well, yeah, Eddie, Ed thing. listens – Ed and Tepe listen to the show, so they'll, they'll hear this for sure. But the, I just talked to Ed yesterday about some others. I have uh, Mitch from – No. I don't know if you're a fan of No Knife, but um, he's on – uh, later this afternoon um but oh, we were that's talking, awesome. we were yeah, talking about that and uh yeah i was uh, yeah you guys would do great together but yeah the the portugal anchorage thing needs to happen and uh i dude i'm stoked for the mastodon tour that's going to be insane and you're playing the arena here that's insane it's fucking yeah, some of the rooms yeah some of the rooms were really big some of the rooms were um you know i think comfortable rooms for us like uh you know, last summer we went out and did a tour with, you know, in hindsight, everybody seems to say it was, oh, it was a known home run. But I don't think everybody thought that. I think that I know I certainly thought that. But we did us and Taking Back Sunday. We were like, oh, we two bands that have been around from like that early 2000s era. I mean, they're celebrating their 20th anniversary now doing like a two year world tour. But, uh, you know, like any band, things ebb and flow and some shows yeah. are bigger than others and things like that. But coheed and tbs together we must have tapped into something and it just was the tour of a lifetime dude on my living room wall i have a picture a screen print from when we played at pnc stadium in uh new jersey and we, you know we sold over ten thousand tickets that's insane and uh i know dude like insane it's like uh hey you gotta get the stuff out of here because we got dave matthews band loading into two hours and it's like what the fuck we're playing the same place as them and like <laughs> Not only that, it wasn't a screaming failure. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, when I saw PNC, all of us, and I'm sure I could speak for TBS too, all of us were like, uh, did they put us in the right place? Like, do they <laughs> know what they're doing? 
Um, and granted, you know, that place holds like 17,000 people, but Hey, we sold over 10,000 tickets and like, you know, just us and taking back Sunday had like just the time of our lives. And it was just really great to, cause we've known each other forever, but had never done a full on tour together. And we must've just tapped into, you know, I'm sure some people were there on for nostalgia's sake. I'm mm-hmm. sure some people were there because they come to all the shows, but whatever it was, it just was like the fucking tour of a lifetime, dude. It was so awesome. And then to follow it up with this Mastodon tour, it's just like, goddamn, for a band like us that like nobody will take us out, like I we put together, I think, the best packages in the business. I mean, I think like every time I die, I it's almost like three headlines, you know? It's yeah. like there almost is no opener. Every time I die is a bona fide one of my favorite groups. Yeah. And then me too. of course Mastodon, which all we're all giant Mastodon fans. It's like it's not all the time it's not every summer that I get to say I would pay to see this tour. Holy shit. Like <laughs> um so I could not be more excited. Like I have to like kind of calm myself down because i'm like so fucking pumped about this we've been trying to put something together with mastodon for a while just always thought it would be cool always friendly with those dudes always big fans of those dudes um the fact that we're doing it with every time i die is just like it's so stupidly cool to me i can't even believe it i can't fucking believe it dude that's gonna be awesome i'm stoked i am so stoked my buddy goose plays drums for uh every time i die now he was playing for norma jean for a while um he was in fear for the march flames too before that but um yeah man we're gonna have to get together and hang out or something and chat it up some more when you guys are in town because uh yeah dude are you are awesome. you gonna come to that show oh fuck yeah dude i oh you gotta come up and say what's up man yeah. for sure um yeah. i get all pumped dude i'm fucking all pumped right now That's talking good. about that tour i can't <laughs> i'd be my favorite package and it's just like two summers in a row like awesome it's not always easy dude it's not easy for a band like us anyway like putting together these packages it's like god who do we like there's a million cool bands but then like putting it together money wise and logistically and like you know every band has their own plans too so i feel really fortunate that we've been able to put this together you brought up touring with thrice before i just want you to know every tour to me should have thrice on it oh yeah and i don't mean just our tour. i mean every tour in existence should have thrice on it. I i love that band so passionately and so deeply i mean i've never told those guys this but like a lot of the time when i was getting clean like i would put on thrice and uh you know the shit like some of their songs come on now and it's i can almost like smell that time period it's just Mm -hmm. the music has burrowed deep down man it means a lot to me and sometimes i i like those guys and care about those guys so much that you know when we see each other in passing it's just i could never articulate how much all four of them mean to me as people and just as influences personally and musically and it's just like instead we have three seconds to say hey what's up man and give a hug and then bounce but i I couldn't love those guys anymore and always so happy for their success when they when they took a break i think i knew it was a break because i just couldn't imagine a world without thrice so just so happy to see them back and thriving and doing their thing um yeah, it, it, does Eddie live in Portland? Did I? No, did he... no, no, no. We were talking on the phone yesterday. He he was on the way back. They were practicing for um, some shows they have coming up down in uh, Orange County. They were down at practice, and then he was heading home to San Francisco, uh, where he's living right now. Um, did he live in Portland for a while though? No, Why do I feel no, like no, no. he told me he moved so. to Portland? I don't think so. I didn't know about it. But uh, maybe maybe it's because he told me he worked at a Starbucks that I just thought it was oh, Portland maybe. or something. Like, <laughs> 
I could have swore. I'm thinking of like a one thing he said like three years ago. So I'm sure I'm wrong actually, but no, he, um, yeah, yeah, I miss those guys a great deal. Those guys taught us so much, dude. First bus I ever was on was Thrice's bus. That's right. You know, a lot of people never get to go on a tour bus their whole lives, you yeah. know? And it's like, we were on warp tour in a van and, uh, thrice had thrice were like our big brothers, man. They, and they really took us under their wing. You know, how easy would it be to have some like, fucking corny competitive bullshit especially since like thrice was 10 times the size of our band and they took us under their wing and really showed us the rope to the point where i remember making our second record and like three or four times like claudia would be like you know like thrice you know like thrice you know like thrice (laughs) um because we were just you know dude they i i remember coming out on tour and being afraid like oh my god we're on tour this is the real shit where do we belong are, are we gonna are they gonna find out we're frauds and we actually have no idea what we're doing and you play with a couple sloppy bands and you say all right i got this and then you saw Price and you said ah fuck <laughs> you were like man what the fuck dude like they were just so tight and so good and the music they were it was really popping for them but they were real dudes I like work for thrice. I wish you get a thrice paycheck. This is how I talk to everybody about thrice. They're just one of my favorite fucking bands, dude. Um, and I am always hopeful that we, you know, if you want to be real about it, you know, I'm sure it comes down to money between managers and booking agents and shit like that, because I always want to tour with thrice and that's, I know the fans want it too. And it's just, it's something that has to happen, uh, sooner than later. If you're asking me. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That would be an amazing bill. I mean, that's, yeah, and those guys, I feel the exact same way. Those guys, since I was, uh, you know, first starting playing in, in bands, you know, showing up to Thrice shows, hanging out by the van, just talking, to then being on Warp Tour and being in line at catering, and Tepe's like, whoa, man, hey, Dewey, what's up? And I was like, what? holy shit, what? I haven't seen you in like two years. How do you know? I was just hanging out out by your guys' van just trying to, you know, chat it up. Now we're in line together and you remember my name. And then it spawned That's into like, wild, dude. Uh, you know, Ed and Riley and everybody, like we just hung out and warped tour. I watched them every day and we, I would sit in their air conditioned bus and we would just talk and, and uh, hit it off. And then that, to this day, like I can still just, you know, call Eddie up or text him like, Hey man, what's, you know, what's going on? Even though I've been out of music for 10 plus years, it, it's exactly, they're just the most humble humble guys i mean they're just no they're that's what i mean they're real dudes genuine sweet caring smart you know they've been a big influence even watching from afar i could like i said i could never fully like articulate what they've meant to me yeah and even though you know even when i hadn't talked to them in years oh it's gonna be kind of funny if they do listen to this when they hear that i i was waiting for dustin and, and riley or tepe or eddie one of the guys from thrice but i think it was just that the music connected so hard for me and it was like this, I was, you know, I remember in the years that I left Coheed and I would listen to those records and think to myself, like, I was a part of this one t- at one time. Like, I had become so. I remember writing a letter to Adam, the singer from Taking Back Sunday, yeah. after the tour. I just never quite found the right way to say some of this stuff. But, like, um, I used to get high in this dude's car with him. It was his girl's car. And she she had uh, her CDs got stolen. And there was one CD, or the CD was stuck in the thing. And it was where you want to be. And I remember I just I would shoot up and and that C, that CD was playing, and it used to just like I remember just thinking like I used to know these guys I used to be part of something I used to be in a band and I, it just those records where you want to be and louder now 
and uh, you know, artist in the ambulance, illusion of safety. And I always say it wrong, even though my father guitar teched the record, uh, Vahishnu, or I always say it wrong, but that record, (laughs) that one became my favorite one. You know, when that record first came out, it was, you know, they're creative. They don't just do the same thing. Like that record was a bit of a left turn for me. Mm -hmm. And I think I probably even said to some people, eh, not really my favorite. And now it's like my favorite thrice record. Um, Although the new one is really, really fucking good. I really, really like the new and the other uh, the last new one that they the last new one the last one that they did before the new one came out but yeah to be everywhere is to be hold, nowhere that's uh, yeah 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 those, they're just important records Every, and everybody has that you know I guess I'm lucky enough that I can you know have a conversation with people whose music means that much to me but um, you know thrice and taking back Sunday and I'd have to put Circa Survive I mean I know I'm kind of picking from like a very like uh, scene specific era but those bands music. You know, it saves my soul just like my wife did. And I, you know, I feel like I'll always eternally owe them something. Not that they're coming looking for what they're due, but I'll always owe them something emotionally. And I'm always like thankful that, you know, that those guys are artists. And hey, how about that tour? Coheed, Circa, and Thrice. Yeah. That would be the shit. That would be insane. I'm still waiting for the uh, underworld. It's all money. (laughs) It's like, Fucking, I bet you the Circa dudes, and I bet you if all three bands, the dudes and the bands all got into the same room and said, all right, let's figure out how to make it happen. We walk out in three minutes, like, all right, we figured it out. But, you know, just like, money, you know, the business end of things, which is very real. And I'm not saying like, oh, whatever, who cares, you know, but God, if we could work that out, that would be like the ultimate tour. Every band plays the same amount of time. Yeah. Um, yeah, that would be the shit. That Dude, would be so awesome. You know what's funny about the music, or the business side, and this is one thing that happened today. Like, it's funny to me when I'm doing this show and who I'm talking to. I mean, I've talked to like platinum selling artists. I've talked to people that you know just you know play 300 cap rooms and sell them out. And it's funny to me to see which ones either the publicist will just say or the management will just say, "Oh yeah, so like Zach Wild." Oh yeah, just call him. Just call him uh, at this. Just here's his cell phone number, or and then in this case, it's like and, and it's been this way a couple times. Like oh, well, call the management and they'll connect you. And then I was like, there we go, because it's like it's always you know <laughs> what I mean. How, isn't that how we did it, dude? I'll yes. tell you what, I would give you my phone number in a heartbeat. Brother. No, I but but they got to know you're legit. You know what I mean? They're protecting you, and that's what they're supposed to do. Because anyone can reach out with an email and say, hey, I have this many listeners, and I want to I want to talk to so and so. But they're protecting you, and that's good to see. And that's just the business. That's the good side of the business is they're protecting you. You know what I mean? From yeah, surely. I think sometimes though, you get insulated from like what could be cool. I think there's there's a time the business is real. You know, I would never suggest to anybody to take take a you know laxed approach to the business side of this thing. But sometimes you know things like money and things like that can go by the wayside in in the. in support of what's awesome and a tour like that it's like come on let's figure it out fucking everybody takes a little bit of a pay cut yeah we could probably all make more if we're all headlining but this is Mm -hmm. in the name of friendship and art yeah i think i need to get everybody in a room and start spitting some of this stuff because i know they'd be receptive to it we could just do the awesomest tour together and that would be a summer tour i mean that would be amazing that would be that would would do so well i feel like it would and I could see like an agent saying, well, we're, we're pulling, you guys all draw the same people, but it's like, well, so what? Yeah. So well, what? And yeah. guess what? None of them would miss that. Oh, I can't miss that one. Those bands together. And yeah, God, it would be even cool if we sat in on each other's sets. It just, yep. I love those bands so much that I would just die. I've been saying this for years though, but you know, I'm sure 
I'm sure at some point us and thrice, there was like a three year stretch where like every other tour was with Circa survive. And it was awesome. It's, I always love touring with friends and yeah, those um, guys are great. Have you ever done that? Had them on the, on the podcast? Oh dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm buddies with those guys. We used to tour with this day forward and, uh, and we took sales oh, on their first, we took sales on their first, uh, little tour. we like abandoned an East coast tour to take sales out for a few days. And, uh, with anatomy of a ghost, and so Anthony and I were talking on the show, and this was something I was going to tell you because uh, he he's recovery as well as you know, mm-hmm. um, and he was saying on our episode that sometimes he'll look and see a pack of cigarettes on the ground, and his first thought is maybe someone left their shit in there, and he uh, but he doesn't pick it up, but he's like he still has those thoughts, and I got course, so many yeah. emails from that episode because of people saying, hey, you know, hearing Anthony talk about. Uh, his heroin addiction and coming out of it made me ask for help. Like those emails are amazing to get because it's it people are listening and it's you know what I mean. Like so oh, with your situation, yeah, I was almost saying not to be crass, but I w- I was almost thinking when you were talking about those suicide notes, looking back on them, maybe publishing those somehow, and maybe those would touch somebody. Like holy shit, he was in this place. Oh my god, I'm in we, this place. We were you know gonna I mean? put them in the in the liner notes of that record. Um, but it just was a little too ill for too, me to let my much. buddy see, honestly, it was like a little too deep. Yeah. Um, I'd almost be like more comfortable publishing all of them, but like sitting there going through them and trying to pick out one yeah. or two to be in the liner notes, like in the background, it was like, Oh my God, this is so deep. And so it's so embarrassing too. It's just like, Oh my God, how fucking stupid. Yeah. But, uh, Anthony is a powerful force like in this he sure is you know when I say scene I just mean music in general because mm-hmm. I think I think at this point after all these years thrice circa coheed I think we transcend any specific scene I think creatively and I think just like administratively if that makes any <laughs> sense I just think in every facet we've kind of transcended a scene but Anthony's always been a powerful figure um and always been somebody I consider a good friend me and him actually got into like a little argument once because he said uh, he was going to do a song with Weird Science, and then I emailed him, and he didn't email me back. And I was probably having a bad day, and I was like, oh. Anthony, don't treat me like that. Don't make me feel like a fool for thinking we're friends. And he was like, yo, do you know how many emails I get every day? And I yeah. did think to myself, oh, shit, that dude probably does get 100,000 emails. <laughs> I get 1,000 emails a day. What's Anthony fucking Green getting? Yeah. Um, but he's somebody I love dearly. And talk about this day forward. Do I remember like Colin, the drummer of this day forward? Yeah. He lives and right like, down the road from me in Portland. Yeah. Now he's like one of the most creative guitar players that I've ever heard. And he's just, and I remember painter. telling him, asking him once, I said, what's the difference? Like playing guitar and playing drums. He's, I was like, God, playing drums is like hard physically. You'd be like, dude, I'll never do it again. I love playing the guitar. I said, Oh, more power to you, man. But I dude, I remember Colin, Walking around at South by Southwest, pre-Circa Survive, handing out business cards, like drummer, guitar player, looking for a band. Oh, Jesus. And I remember thinking, like, you know, fuck, man, good luck to Colin, man. You know, I hope he figures something out. Never did I imagine that it would be fucking Circa Survive. Dude. One of my favorite bands. Yeah, yeah. it's just so cool. We They came over uh, to Europe with us. Um I think it was their first time there in Europe, and Anthony was this shy front man, and he wore a winter jacket on stage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you could tell he had a thing, though. He wasn't like, you know, but he, he wasn't the Anthony that you see now. You yeah. know, it's like um, total comfort, total energy just, you know, beaming out of him. But he was like this shy kid, but they're still fucking awesome. And then 
our merch guy Kwame got so into the record. I remember even feeling like uh, a little bit like jealous at the time. Some young man shit, like on some, like, <laughs> what was Kwame like? Kwame had been my best friend since we we're like five years old. I remember thinking like, man, what was he like that band so much? And then I got into the record probably even as much as him. And but now they're you know one of my favorite 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 bands. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't seen those guys and God, you know, touring wise, like two years ago by and you haven't even seen those guys, but it's always all love and we've toured together so many times. Uh but I, it's hard for me to imagine not again in the future doing a tour with them. I think there's some fucking weight to this Coheed Thrice Circa tour, man. I hope Dude, I have I'm telling you. listens to your show. We gotta get this shit to happen. This is where this is where ideas come from, man. This this show right here. <laughs> dude i gotta start I, checking out the podcast dude, um go listen to the sage francis episode he did the same thing he flipped the interview on me in the first 11 minutes and then we started <laughs> we started talking about um we started talking about his unreleased stuff from epitaph and how he's gonna release it somehow and i said dude record store day and then he started we started talking about mcgruber the movie and all this stuff ties together and at the end we had a complete idea for a release with with him as MacGruber on the cover choking someone out uh, for record store day with these songs that never came out. We, it happens all the time. Oh, like, that's amazing! But uh, dude, I couldn't be a bigger fan of MacGruber. By the way, I but yeah. um, love MacGruber. Sage Francis. Here's a quick little story. I know you got to go. I'm fucking talking your ear off, dude. This is awesome. Um, I'm loving it. So I'm I'm not in Coheed. I'm with MC Lars, uh-huh. and uh, we op- open up for Snoop Dogg. Oh, at shit. this college um there's like three thousand people there yeah my weird science did some pretty big stuff i opened up for ludicrous in china um it just never you know it, it was never really about commercial success but like anyway you know it, i don't know if you've ever heard any of mc lars's music i have uh but yeah and it's like this the crowd was ready for snoop dogg let's just say that they were <laughs> they wanted to hear snoop dogg and it's a bunch of like kind of drunk college kids right yeah and uh, here comes me and Lars, you know, and we're like, Lars opens up with like, you know, one of his like, you know, fucking English lit rap songs. And uh, I thought it would go over really well with this college crowd. And the song ends and no one, not a Pete, nothing. Right. So then we go into one of my songs and I mistakenly think like, all right, now we got him. I think I'm killing the shit, which makes it even worse when like, <laughs> like I'm like rapping up to a kid in his face and he just gives me the finger <laughs> and then the song ends. And then not only is there no cheers, but now we've got some booze. And so they're kind of booing us. And then we do another Lars song and then more booze. And we do another one of my songs and then more. Basically, the entire fucking place is just booing us. Get off the stage. It's- I never been called the F word by that. I mean, faggot so many times, oh so openly. In my, it was no, it was brutal, dude. So I'm about to cry <laughs> up on stage, <laughs> opening for Snoop Dogg. It had just been the best day up to that point. Snoop Dogg's bass player turns out he's a huge weird science fan. Uh, is quoting lyrics of mine. I'm like just having a great day up until this awful show. Well. Bubby, this famous bass player, you can't miss him, dude. He's like, you know, big guy, but one of the fattest grooves you ever heard. You know, the guy is just the man. Yeah. Uh, Bubby, his name is, he comes out to watch us do the song that he likes, Conspiracy Theories Without Mel Gibson. My voice is breaking the whole time because I'm I'm about to cry. Dude, I've never been booed by 3,000 people before, and it <laughs> sucks. Gross. It is not fun. So I'm like, how'd you do this to my former self? And then, like, I try to make it look like it's because I'm out of breath, so I just start jumping around a lot because – why would I be out of breath if I'm not jumping around a lot? Yeah. We get through the song, ultimate shower of booze, and I walk off stage, and there's Sage Francis. 
And he goes, don't worry, dude, you're not a real rapper till you get booed off stage. And I was like, somehow it really made me feel better. Yeah, dude. Sage is the man. He is. Then he told us. Oh, he's so fucking awesome, dude. I love Epic Beard, man. Um, Yeah. He told me that his story about playing Rock the Bells and getting booed. And it it really did. It cured me. It made me feel better because that was like the worst performance of my life. Like I'd never. Listen. I mean, I had a fucking rap side project. I've played many a show where people were like, ew, what the fuck? I've played with 10 rock bands and then just me. Put out a record on Equal Vision. I toured with Bane. I can handle it. Something about this day just was extra. It was daytime, too, so the show just didn't feel like a show. I just, oh, my God, dude, it was torturous. And then fucking Sage made everything better. He didn't know me either. He had no idea who I was. He just knew I was buddies with Lars, came out to see the show. I walked down. He could see that I was upset. And he said, don't worry, man. You're not a real rapper till you get booed off stage. And I was like, I fucking like that dude a lot. That's what's up. And we ended up having a good ass time. Snoop took picture with all of us and all of our friends. And Snoop was pretty cool. Um, I mean, cool enough. He charges a hundred bucks a picture and he didn't charge us. So that was cool. Nice. Um, yeah, he plays the show. And, and dude, the line is basically every single person at the show is going to pay $100 for a picture with Snoop Dogg. Oh, Why not, dude? Yeah. I fuck it. I mean, I would do it too if I was Snoop Dogg like but he was actually pretty cool to us, man. He's like, "I hey, get them rappers, get them white boys in here." And he put his arm around us and we took a picture and it was pretty cool. <laughs> um, but that was like a life-changing story that Sage Francis is forever like intertwined in my psyche because he was really sweet to me and i'm just a fan of his music i've always been a fan of his yeah that's another reason why it sucked so much getting booed that hard (laughs) at a show because like come on man fucking bubby's watching and sage francis is here too (laughs) lars is such a pro too dude like what lars does like he knows it's not it's off the beaten path dude it is like an alternative kind of thing that he's doing mm-hmm. he he does it and he's for real i mean talk about knowledge of hip-hop music that dude could write books he probably has um with his knowledge of like street hip-hop uh positive hip-hop like he knows hip-hop music and he went up there and they booed and it was just no sweat to him oh it's all right yeah. Eh, next time we'll maybe get you on the next show and he's just <laughs> Yeah, dude, he's amazing. I was just, meanwhile, I'm crying. I'm like, oh my God, I'm never getting on stage again. I'm shaking. It was like that awful. But uh, I guess looking back, you know, I think I learned a lot from Lars uh, and from Sage that day. Those dudes are fucking awesome. And I'm so happy that Sage still is making music and putting out stuff and doing his thing. I feel like he's like bigger than ever. Like I run into more people that tell me, oh, you got to check out this dude than ever dude and he when he broke like everybody was kind of on his deck everybody was talking about him yeah and then he just like maintains but i feel like in the last year being out on tour more people bring him up than ever before so i hope he's just killing it out there and um right epic beard man that shit seems to be doing pretty well yeah they're gonna be here on the 20th in portland uh april 20th uh with yeah b dolan and and sage francis yeah it's yeah, doing really well awesome. it's doing really well so it makes me so happy man good for him dude everyone's doing That's good it seems like you guys are doing great everyone i mean yeah it's, it's good i mean it's, it's tough good. you know it's like i know a lot of young bands and, and you know it's like the biggest thing to me like when people say oh like uh what advice could you give a young band i would say y- you know get a manager but have it be your buddy from home until you absolutely need to bring somebody else on board because mm-hmm. you know if you're going to do this and make a living you got to be in control of as much as you can yeah. You know, yeah. like you've got to be in control with as much as you can because enough hands in the pockets are going to, you could be a band drawing 500 people a night, right? 
Yeah. Or even for, you could be a band drawing 300 people a night and either have your mortgage paid for and everything all right in your life and or, you know, have nothing, come home with nothing because I've seen both, dude. Yeah. I've seen both. I've yeah. seen uh, and drawing around that number. And that says to me, and, you know, it ain't about, uh, hey, well, these tickets were 11 and these were 13. No, it's like, you know, some people let in all these outside influences and they just kind of rob you blind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've met rappers that, like, they go out on tour they draw t- the biggest show on the tour had 200 people there, but they generally draw about 100, 150 people a night and they come home with 30 grand and they come home. Their rent is paid for the next six months and they're, and they're good. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, there is no manager. There is no, you know, the booking agent gets a small percentage and is happy to do it. It's a small booking agency. And I was like, man, that is fucking how you do it. You make a living. Yeah. You keep the money that your art is earning. You know, my man went out on that tour and came home with that. He brought one shirt. For merch he brought he had one shirt design he wasn't even really trying and uh still made like decent money and but none of the shows were like enormous i think probably the biggest show was like two 250 something like that um small places uh and you know small guarantees but mm-hmm. add no days off obviously just go out for 18 days 18 shows and just hook it up but yeah um you know you can't quote me on those numbers but you know he, he came home and paid his rent maybe it was 20 or whatever he came home with that was like good money it was yeah like, all right you're making enough. money doing your art yeah it was enough and you're doing you're you're carving out a financial spot for you with art and that's no easy task because then it's like i see these bands and yes a band by the na- very nature of being a band there's four guys right there that's different and then you got crew guys but like and then you got, oh, well, we need to get in the band bus thing. And then we can't afford our big bus. So we're in like one of the bandwagon things. It's like all that stuff. I don't know. Coheed was the last band to take a bus. I remember we'd pull in. We were main support. Opener had a bus. Second band had a bus. We'd pull our van in between. It'd be Coheed's van and then the headliner's bus. Oh, but we were just like too frugal, dude. Like we yeah. grew up. None of us grew up with a lot of money. And I think we're just scared to make that leap. And when like. You know, the label was like, ah, guys, I think, you know, you're making like whatever a night. I think you can get a bus. We're like, we'll get an RV and we'll get a friend to drive it. That was with one bed in it. We were like, all right, well, that's what we'll do. Um, so we waited a long time and I'm glad we did. I feel like we got to learn a lot and we get to see a lot of bands touring successfully and carving out a living for themselves with music, which was really inspiring. And, yeah. you know, bands like Hot Water Music and, you know, these bands weren't selling 20. It wasn't Dave Matthews band, but these guys were doing their thing and doing all right, and making a living. That was the shit. And that's, you know, that's what I wanted for weird science. Like I never wanted it to be, I wish I was embraced maybe more by the punk rock community. And if anything, it's just spotlighting my own kind of insecurities and fear, dude. I wasn't the kind of kid that would walk into a party and start rapping for everybody. No way. I would die if somebody asked me to do that. And they would ask me all the time. And I'd always, Oh no, (laughs) I was writing these songs like, you know, in my bedroom, getting high and trying to fucking figure some shit out inside my head and writing these like rap songs. And then I record, I got like pushed into putting it out. And then just like the reviews came out and it really like fucked me up how bad they were. But, um, it was scary at the time. It was like, Oh my God. I remember this one review. It was this story about a guy who, uh, tried to smuggle 250 Oxycontins uh, from whatever, say California to New York. I don't remember where it was, mm-hmm. but so he swallowed them all in little baggies in his stomach. And anyway, sitting on the plane, he has some kind of reaction and he has to have surgery. This is a review for my record. So I'm reading it like, what the fuck? Did they accidentally put the wrong thing in here? Um, so he has the surgery. They pull the Oxycontins out. He gets arrested, this and that, and the other thing. Turns out they were Tylenol PMs. He had gotten ripped off. The last sentence was, 
this I this guy's idea was a little bit better than Josh Eppert's idea of putting out this weird science record. What? And I was like, God damn, kudos for the creative review. That's but, insane. Oh, man, that fucking stings, dude. It was like fucking eight pages long. There's this long-winded story. And uh, e- yeah. <laughs> Equal Vision sent me a package of all my reviews, my press stuff, and there was like maybe one or two good reviews out of like 400. <laughs> and I was just like, I got eaten alive. And then I was like, well, I never... I'm just not the kind of creative person that like, uh, I don't mean this in a sad way, but like, I never believed in myself enough to like, be like, no, we're putting this record out. Right. Like once we're in the project, I can say, no, I know the song has to be this way. I can feel it in my heart. I feel Mm -hmm. it in my soul. But like, I never like, uh, not to overuse this word, but like in the more administrative things, like putting out a record or the artwork or this or that, I just, I just was too shy. I was too shy to be like, no, it has to be this way. I know this will sell. I could never say something like that. Yeah. So I got kind of pushed into putting it out. And I'm thankful that that happened because people that were in my circle from Equal Vision and people like the guys from Bane, like the singer from Bane told me he thought it was the most punk rock record he ever heard. And then we got uh, kind of like heckled at New York City at CBGB's Weird Science did opening for Bane. And the singer from Bane like kicked the dude out of the show when they went up to play. It was like, you know. Yeah, it was fucking awesome, dude. And like the guys from Bane, like I'm friends with some of those dudes, friends with Zach to this day. Um, we stayed at his house and like, you know, I made a lot of lifelong friends doing the weird science thing. But it's like if I could go back, I wish I had a little bit more confidence and said, oh, you don't like my record? Yeah, fuck you. I did say that literally on the record, but I don't know if I felt it as much. It was scary, dude. It was scary to get laughed at by so many people just quoting weird science songs. So this is nothing new. I literally have a song called fuck you where it's like, you don't like my record. Fuck you. And I also have a song called Joshua. They're laughing at you, but (laughs) I don't know, man. Weird science was my own little thing that I did. And it was cathartic for me. And then all of a sudden it was for the whole world. And like, uh, that was a scary thing for me and something I maybe wasn't quite ready for. But, um, on the flip side of that, like the fact that it has fans and in the last like three or four years, uh, you know, maybe since we haven't done anything, like maybe it's, I can't say this anymore, but two years ago, I would have said weird science is more fans than ever before. Uh, every day I get a message about somebody really connecting to the music. And, mm-hmm. you know, I made this record called sick kids. while it was this really strange time. Where it's like, I'm telling people that I'm clean yet. I'm going in the vocal booth and rapping about how I'm lying to everyone about how I'm not clean. <laughs> Then I'm shooting up in the bathroom of that studio and coming out all fucked up and sweaty and getting and then t- saying I'm clean and then going in the booth and being like, <laughs> they think I'm clean, but I'm not. He's fucking idiot. It's the strangest thing, dude. Like, but really, I cry for help, dude. And like, yeah. like on Warped Tour, the singer from Less Than Jake being like, don't bring that guy out on stage anymore. Um, and I had heard it was, I, it can't be that he thought my performance was that bad. I rapped eight bars of a song and uh i thought you know i know i can i can rap live better than a lot of rappers that i see so i did my job but it was meant to be like a not necessarily ironic but it was more of like a a statement it wasn't saying like look at this five-year-old kid doing coke isn't that awesome uh it was meant to ruffle some feathers but apparently he got upset by it but I don't know. Then again, maybe he really did just think I stunk or maybe he just didn't want two dudes up there rapping at Warped Tour. Who knows? So I'm not. But it hurt my feelings. And then it was just like, God, can I keep doing this? But I don't know. Confidence has always been like a weird thing for me. And um, 
again, going back to all the way in the beginning, I think that's why drugs spoke to me so much, dude, because all of a sudden I felt confident because every edge had been rounded off. But rounding off those edges in a natural way without the use of opiates, I think that's like, you know, for me, it would have been and was one of the biggest challenges in life. But mm-hmm. learning how to do it without drugs has been like, you know, obviously more rewarding than filling your body full of chemicals and fucking up your whole world and shit. But Dude. yeah, rap records. Jesus Christmas, Dewey. We've talked about a lot of stuff. <laughs> we absolutely is this have. What you do for, is this what you do for the podcast? Do you just let a dude like me just go and go and go until like one of our phones die or something? Exactly. That's exactly what I do. I used to do it differently. I used to you know, uh, research and research and research and add three pages of notes and questions and things like that. And that's just not natural. And I, I never use mm. them. I should release those. I've never used them. Like, uh, I think Jeff, Jeff Rickley <laughs> from, Thir- Jeff, Jeff Rickley from Thursday was like, is that a, is that a book of notes there that you just closed? Yeah. Why? I was oh, like, funny. well, we just talked for an hour and a half without him. You know, I just wanted to, I knew if I didn't do my due diligence, it was going to fail. But it's just the, the whole podcast thing for me is just the conversation. Like what we have just done, we just had a real conversation between two people. You and I, I, I don't know if we've actually, I don't think we've actually met, met. I knew we played shows together and done things in the same circle, but I don't think we actually have met. But we still, we just spent two hours on the phone talking about whatever you know and that's what people that listen to my show love is they're like i feel like i was just sitting in a room with two people but they didn't know i was there kind of thing you know like no dude that's my favorite podcast too do we that's you know a we conversation talk about some real and, shit you know like that's all yeah it is. god you've done a lot of awesome ones huh you had jeff in there too that's great yeah uh ian mckay from bugazi i've had i mean like you said dude the that's joke, crazy the joke is it's from fallout boy from fallout boy to slayer is what i put in the email because i've had dave lombardo and then uh andrew hurley from uh fallout boy and sect and and uh he lives in portland too so like i've done it, it started out i just reached out to 20 people including the portugal guys like hey i'm thinking of starting this show would you guys want to do it and everyone except for one said yes so then i'm like oh that's Shit, i have to do 20 interviews right now and i don't even know what i'm doing and that's, that's awesome. how it started and that's and i put out the very first episode is the very first ep- i mean i didn't do any demos i didn't i knew i wouldn't release it if i did so i just put it all out so like uh yeah that's great man episode really, eight really awesome. i think is calling from circa and you should listen to that one because uh we talk about uh anthony you know going up and crying to the um like literally crying saying i made a huge mistake i need to go home to get a free ticket home to to not go back to seosin and and to go home and start a band with colin like it's uh, these touching stories you know like that that uh you know not a lot of people hear and and it's been awesome like i i love doing it but um that's fucking incredible dude is what that is that is really something else man I am going to go listen to the Colin one. I'm going to listen to the Jeff one, the Ian one. I can't wait to. I've been looking for a new podcast to get into. I'm not, like, super well-versed. I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan, like, I guess oh, everybody yeah, yeah. else. Yeah, everybody. And that uh, that one, what the hell is it called? The the horror guys who do investigative stories. Is it the um, – it's not the last last podcast on the left, yes. is it? Oh, yeah, okay. That's it. The last podcast on the left, but they do, like, you know, three-part – uh investigative pieces and i just listened to the one on the nazi uh doctor which was just incredibly ill um but those are really cool but i mean like actively trying to find something i mean i can't couldn't be more interested in this um you know these guys are my friends and uh that makes it like even more kind of i can't wait to hear it you know yeah um 
I am going to have to go though, since it's been two hours and I got to get dinner ready for the wife. She's going to yeah. be home in an hour. Yeah. Ross gave me your availability. I was like, well, I'd like an hour. So let's just do it at, at four o'clock. Cause he said you were available to five. So I've been feeling bad. Cause I'm like, shit, I'm keeping him longer than I like oh, to no, keep dude, it. I kept talking your ear off, but this was, it was really natural. Dude. I wish every interview could be like, you know how painful interviews are. Sometimes? I absolutely For do. me, <laughs> it's extra painful because it's like people listen. I know I'm not the singer of the band. Like we have completely, like moved on from like giving a shit about anybody in the band but i've had interviews where i walk into a person face to face and they sigh in my face like no one told them who it was going to be from the band oh. um so they can you imagine you wonder why i have confidence issues yeah like they they fucking have their hopes up that it's going to be claudia claudia who's got fucking 400 interview requests is going to come waltzing in to do your fucking high school paper whatever so yeah. i come in i'm all smiling and they look at me and they uh <laughs> so what do you do in the band? And sometimes I'll make shit up. I'm like, oh, I'm the I, I uh, I'm the keyboard tech or something. Yeah. It's just like fucking straight lie to them. Um, but it's not a good feeling. It's just like, no. God damn it. I didn't know when I was a kid and I just wanted to be in a band. And I there was a drum set there and I could play. And then I'm a fucking drummer. I got into it and I didn't know I had to be uh, chastised for that. And I, I think going back to man, like a lot of the not blaming the drugs, though, I think a lot of that was hard to swallow as a kid too. Cause it was like, I always looked at it as being really professional that you didn't let like your own ego get in the way of like, Hey, you're a band dude. You're in the band. You're not the singer. And that's mm -hmm. understood. But like when it really started happening a lot, I do think it was kind of hard for me and hard for Claudio because oddly enough, like Claudio's not really a big outspoken guy. No, you know, I think, I think maybe he could tell the same story about like what weird science was to me. It was like maybe art to him. It was this incredibly personal thing that, you know, uh, he just he didn't want to be a singer. I don't think I think he got pushed into being a singer when he was a kid. He always says he wanted to be the drummer. Um, <laughs> and then I'm this like loud, super talkative, obviously, like boisterous guy, almost more like a singer. So it's kind of funny. It's like me and Claudio switched places somewhere or soul switched or something. But um, he's you know, he doesn't like doing interviews a lot of times and he doesn't sure. certain ones he does, but like, I think, you know, he's shy and it's not an act. It's he's the real thing shy, which of course you'd never get that when he's, you know, jumping all over the stage, playing the guitar behind his head. But that's, I don't know. It's a character, you know, it's like part yeah. of a show. Sure. It's almost like me. I can talk a lot when I'm representing the band because I have more, faith in coed and cambria than i do myself you want to see shy josh have my wife drag me to a party at one of her teacher's friend's house i can barely <laughs> utter a word and uh i mess up everything i say god forbid i try to tell a joke i mess it up the punchline doesn't land i'm sweating i'm all nervous but i don't know sometimes <laughs> when i'm representing the band like i just feel more confident and in, in a way that i can kind of tap into that i wish i could tap into that in my everyday life but um yeah, such is uh, such is existence, huh, Dewey? Yeah, but this absolutely. was comfortable from the jump too, though, because I knew you were talking about people that I know. You're talking about Anthony. You're talking about Thrice, and just I don't know, man. We hit it off. You seem yeah. you have a really natural energy about you that's like inviting in a way that makes it really comfortable. Well, I appreciate that a lot, man. I, I that's why I strive for. I try to keep. I mean, if I want to talk to someone, it's because I want to talk to them. It's not like, hey, this person's huge. I could probably get a ton of plays if I interview this person. It's like, no. I want to talk to who I want to talk to because it's natural, you know, and, and you're one of my favorite yeah, drummers right and just, I mean, it's, this has been a, this has been a treat, man. I really appreciate it a lot. And like I said, if it comes down to, I mean, we should, we should, if when you hit, hit Portland for the Mastodon tour, we should, you know, get together and, and chat or something or, yeah, I mean, well, hey, can thing. I, 
Um, can I give you my number right now? Yeah, sure. Let and me you just uh, cut it off. The, don't put that on the podcast. Oh, obviously, hell no. I don't make that mistake. But uh, yeah, man, I really appreciate the the time. You know what I mean? It's, no, this it's, has been awesome. I, I, you know what, dude? It's cathartic for me too. Like just to talk about this stuff with someone else listening, it's different than your own thoughts, you know? So it's like sometimes rummaging through this stuff, you figure some shit out along the way, you know? So it's really healthy, I think, for me. Dude, it's I mean, you should think about doing a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a lot of people tell me that, but I'd fuck it up, man. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Right now I'm starting to just do drum videos where I just throw up my phone and just throw them up. And maybe I'll take it to like a little bit more of a produced thing and maybe start putting them on YouTube and whatnot. But like, there's so many like so heavily produced drum videos and stuff that today I put one up where it's like just a barrage of mistakes. And I said, you know, we see so many like pristine mixed with samples laid in like drum videos. Here's the real thing. Here's a drummer in his little studio room fucking around, making mistakes everywhere. Here you go. I put that up 10 minutes before you call. <laughs> right. I'm going to check and that out. The shit's still nasty, but it's a fucking I'm fucking up everywhere. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I thought there was something cool about like putting up the real thing. This drummer I know, Chicken, who's like a famous, great drum, plays with P-Funk and just a groove guy. Like, he's not a slick, like, he's slick in a fucking adult way. Yeah. Um, Super tasty, uh, groovy, groovy, groovy guy. One time I was like, ah, oh, man, I messed up. He said, oh, you made a mistake at a show? So what? That's the best part of the show. And it really kind of changed my life. I was like, that's awesome that Chicken, he really believes that. Like, I saw Radiohead play. Uh, in Liberty State Park, they only sold 2,500 tickets, and somehow when I was like 18, I got a ticket to that show, me and my buddies. And we went to see them, and they messed up. Oh, it wasn't Karma. Maybe it was Karma Police, but one of their big hits, they messed it up like three minutes in, and they were just laughing on stage. <laughs> they started it over, so we got to hear it twice, Yeah, and they played the best version, and it was the best part of the show. That's like sometimes awesome. a mistake, that very humanness of it is – Hey, if you want to hear the record, put the record on, you know, and it, yeah. I don't know, it freed me up. You talk about confidence and stuff like that. It really freed me. It changed my life. This is a couple of years ago. And all of a sudden I was like more free playing the drums to try things that like I used to get so nervous. I couldn't like go around the kit and do things that are well in my wheelhouse as a player <laughs> out of nervousness. And I'm glad that knock on wood, I, I feel like I'm beyond that these last like five, six years, basically ever since coming back to the band, I feel like. I just knew that there was no room for that anymore. It's time to grow up and to have, you know, confidence in yourself. When isn't it funny? I would take those drugs to kind of like feel confident, but I think they were holding me back from like yeah. your own kind of journey of discovery where like may who knows without the drugs, maybe I found that out at twenty two. Yeah, it's like hey, a one way mirror. Let that nervousness go, man. You're fucking here to do your thing and you know, you're in front of your crowd like they're going to be on your side unless you really blow it. So go ahead and try that thing that's different from the record and have some fun. And it's going to be a fun show. It's going to be a fun night. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it, buddy. Well, you'll go make dinner and, and uh, be purposeful. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to being purposeful. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon, my friend. All right, my friend. Take care. All right, Joey. Peace, man. Bye-bye. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Josh Shepard from Coheed and Cambria. Uh, I know it was a bit long, but I think it was great, and I had a good, good, good time talking to Josh. Um, time flew by. <laughs> it was a while. I think it was at the two-hour mark before I even looked down and realized how long we've been chatting. But hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, like I say, I'm going to be seeing Coheed here uh, tomorrow uh, at the Moda Center with Mastodon and Every Time I Die, so definitely check out that tour. Uh, the Unheavenly Sky Tour, um, when it comes through your town, they're on tour now, and I think they go back to Europe after this. Um, they'll be all over the place, so don't miss it. 
Um, check out the sponsors, merge for socks, artistflags.com, rockabilia.com, and check out uh, my buddy Writer's Studio, RER Studio, uh, on the socials. He's the one who made that amazing guitar strap for me. He does all kinds of leather work. Um, he's one of my best buddies. He's been on the show, a past guest, um, and he's been doing stuff you know, for Portugal the Man, for Eddie from Thrice. He's it's all over the place, and it's some of the most amazing work I have seen. It's it's something that was super special to receive from him and uh, you know, I'll use it, you know, for a lifetime. It's absolutely amazing. So check out RER Studio, Ryder Robeson, um, and you know, send him a send him a note saying Dewey sent you. Uh, pick yourself up a strap, camera strap, wallets, all kinds of stuff. So big shout out to Ryder. Thank you, man. And uh, guys, I'm gonna get out of here. I got lots to do, but uh, we'll be back at you next week with another awesome episode. Thank you again for supporting the show. Thank you for sticking around through the hiatuses when I have to take one and uh, bearing with us. So hope you guys had fun. I'm glad to be back. And as always, we'll see you on the radio. Hey, this is Doc Coyle, host of the X-Man Podcast and part of the Jabberjaw Media Podcast Network. The X-Man Podcast is where I talk to professionals in the music world and other creative industries about the challenges and transitions of leaving monumental ventures. This podcast is for those passionate and driven 20 to 30-somethings at a crossroad trying to figure out what's next. Listen and subscribe at jabberjawmedia.com.